John Bell. John Bell. Mate, fucking class to have you on. Class to have you on. Thank you for coming on. We've finally started recording with all the um, gear and no idea, to put it bluntly. John Bell, you are an integrative psychotherapist with the experience of working with a wide variety of people facing uniquely different and difficult challenges. You've just completed your MA thesis into vulnerability in rugby league, looking at how striving for authenticity in the toughest of sports can present all of us with a therapeutic template for happier, wholehearted living. Yeah, that's... That's a fucking good bio, man. That's a really good fucking bio. I'm really jealous. Yeah, I thought, oh, bloody hell, he sounds all right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, me. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's you. Yeah, um, nice. Mate, we uh, we met a little bit. Uh, I feel like we met start of lockdown nearly, were it? Yeah, pretty much. In and around it? I think it had just... The first ever lockdown. Lockdown one. Just bring that closer. They were, um, yeah... Lockdown one, I think it was, and I, there was a little bit of a, a lull in proceedings, wasn't there, where that meant people could sort of like catch up yeah. and sort of see each other outside. And you and I ended up catching up in mm. Roundy Park, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah, and going for a first time because it was a lot of time we were, we were chatting over Twitter, um, and we initially had a call with Chris, didn't we? He was obviously co-host of Mentality. We initially had a, That's right, a yeah. call and a chat, and John started talking to me, um, and. Uh, he said, <laughs> you said the, the, the thesis you're doing into vulnerability in rugby league. Yeah. And the conversations we had, the more and more I uh, probably exposed myself. <laughs> and I just kept talking and talking and about what needs to change, about, you know, what, what I was feeling like. Um, and yeah, like I've been lucky to talk to you as a mate, mm. but to have your in essence, what is you as a psychotherapist, you as someone who's played rugby league, you as someone who knows the environment, you who um, has spent a lot of time reflecting on that. Yeah. And, you know, you've actually done, you've done the work. Yeah. Um, literally, you've done the work. You've, you've done the the looking into, into what, where mental health sits with masculinity, where it sits with, Rugby league, so yeah, and, and it's a, and it's it's a lived experience. Mm. To be honest, there's yeah. it's not it, the flicking through the books and the research was the pleasure. The pain was going through it mm. and experiencing my own challenges with the sport. You and I have talked about rugby league, and it's it's like a disease. Mm. It gets under your skin. And it never really evolves. You just have to, it never really goes. You just have to learn to live with it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's beautiful in so many ways and it's painful both physically and emotionally and yeah, in just as many really. And so it's part of you, isn't it? Like, it, yeah, either you've got it or you haven't. Yeah. And you and I have got it up to our eyes. And so yeah. I think what really helped us talking about it and we've just been talking off air was the fact that actually what never nearly needed to happen when we we're talking about mental health was establishing a context. We both knew the context. Mm -hmm. uh, me for a long, long time ago, obviously I'm quite a number of years older than you and I never played to the level or um, like I said, the standard of yourself, but league is league. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, it was really interesting for me doing my thesis, coming back and doing the temperature check and realizing that the more things change, the more they also stay the same as well. Yeah. But uh, I, uh, 
I kind of pursued you because I'd got I'd got this. We'll go, obviously we'll go into the we'll go into the thesis in in a bit. Like, but I had this sort of like ideal panel of people that I'd want to contribute to my mm -hmm. thesis on vulnerability in rugby league. And I, obviously I'd come across you. Yeah, I'd seen you play as a Bradford fan. I'd marginally respected you, but disliked you a little Heard bit too. Well, yeah. <laughs> I get that. I, I just thought, that. oh God, he's inconveniently good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's just what they need. Another yeah. bloody good player. <laughs> but, um, and, but then I decided about mentality and it was when I listened to your pod with Brian Mack mm. and I was listening to it at work and that pod took me from finishing work right across Leeds into the car, driving home and all the way home. And I just went, right, I'm gonna have to get in touch with this fella. Yeah. This, this works for me. This, yeah. This, this is gonna be good. Yeah. And it's, we had many uh, lockdown walks, many yeah. um, discussions on the game, discussions on masculinity, on mental health and everything that, that overlaps with that too. Um, but let's understand who John Bell is first. Let's talk a bit about that. I know a little bit about it, but because yeah. um, you are, if you find out, will you let me know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the hardest question Mate, to answer, isn't it? 41, 41 years, I'm picking that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but let's let's go, mate. Because you, because the the reason why I um, I'm so humble to know you and value what you do and respect what you do is because you've not just done the work with the thesis and done the research and, and understood all, all what people say and what, you know, what you get second on. You've actually had the experience yourself. Hmm. Um, as we say, the, the ups of rugby league, downs of it, the little bits in between. And you've had that experience where you've probably felt exposed. You've felt, um, felt it's been difficult at times, but you felt like it's also part of you. Hmm. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that? Because you played for Huddersfield Giants. I did for a little bit, yeah. 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 Um, um, so I can... <laughs> rugby league was in my family. I, there are rugby league families in the rugby league families. And within the game, there are families for whom the game just flows through them and it's a way of life. And you know, I grew up as a Bradford fan with Mel Manu comes from Bradford. And I loved it. I loved it. You know, mm -hmm. as a fan, first and foremost, I love rugby league. And playing sort of came second. I enjoyed it, but I, at nine, ten years old, I wasn't marked for greatness in the way that growing up in Wakefield, mm -hmm. so many of my mates and my my oldest my oldest mate growing up was is a Featherstone Rovers legend, mm -hmm. Stuart Stuart Dickens, who, yeah. who contributed to my dissertation. I'm very grateful that he did mm -hmm. so as well. It was really good insight. But you know, I, I've known that lad for 35 years and you were a kid in my class mm. and you know that's that's you know if you work around Wakefield you trip over a good rugby player yeah yeah and uh you know so I grew up surrounded by and was lucky to sort of be surrounded by you know I'd say five or six absolutely class rugby players who went on to to do a bit in the game in my high school mm. and I were a kid who could play a bit I was playing hooker at the time I ended up signing as a winger which yeah. shows how people change, but <laughs> I was playing hooker at high school, but I loved it. But I had some really, really early lessons in vulnerability. And this is something that I realized happened quite early on for me to understand what it takes to be a rugby player. It's not just about, I mean, I, you know, if I'm going to flatter myself at all, the one thing that I, I had natural ability was I was quick, like mm. really quick. And as, as I developed, my, developed into a, an adult, you know, I got quicker and quicker and quicker. And that was basically what I 
signed on the back of me on my pace. Mm. But mental toughness was something that I looked around and saw as belonging to other people. And I was found out really early. Um, when I was 11, I came up against a kid who I'll not mention because I don't want to, I'm sure he's getting on with his life and I don't want to embarrass him, but I ended up signing for Leeds. I played, I played against him. I won't mention his name, but tough as teak, just hard. Yeah. Hard in a way that you looked at him and thought, oh my God, I will never, ever be that. I never will be that way out. And every time we went into scrum, he dropped the nut on me. Just dush. And yeah. the thing is, it didn't, it wasn't the pain. It was not knowing what to do. Mm. I didn't know how to respond to that challenge. Mm. I had no idea. There was no script. And I knew that so many of these lads who had grown up in, you know, longstanding rugby families who mm. knew exactly what to do. They knew that they knew the, they knew the codes for this. They knew mm. the unwritten laws that you give it back. You don't show pain. Mm. I cried. I got subbed off at 11 years old, I got subbed off and I went, I don't like that. Mm. And I worked out really, really early that I had to learn what tough was. Mm. I hadn't, I hadn't got it naturally. Um, and that's an abstract, I think, really, because we talk about pain and we talk about other kinds of toughness. And, you know, in adult life, I've gone on to run ultra marathons and silly stuff. And some people mm. will look at that and go, what's wrong with you? You're tough. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. toughness yeah. works in different ways. But at 11 years old in 1991, all I wanted to be was someone who could stay on that field with that kid who were knocking seven shades of shit out of me. Yeah. And, you know, it's a conversation that if I still had with my dad, I think my dad would go, oh, bloody hell, you know, it, uh, that were a really unfair thing for him to do because he could see mm. his lad in pain. But mm taught me a lesson that if I'm going to carry on doing this, you're going to have to get with the program and get on with it. You cannot show vulnerability. You mm. cannot show your weakness because you'll get found out. And so it's not just been about being good. It's about being prepared to have a mental state that can carry you through. Mm. So after that, I went, you know, just played a bit of junior rugby and then got to 16 and Puberty kicked in and <laughs> I got, I just said puberty in a podcast. <laughs> Alan Partridge. I started pubing quite early. Um, and, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I suddenly got pace. I got a bit stronger and out of nowhere, suddenly people were talking about me for like county, county rep mm. and things like that. And I, um, still now to this day, the proudest moment of my life. And the most grateful I've ever been was walking out for Yorkshire against Lancashire. Yeah. Because I never thought I did that for other kids. It yeah. wasn't for me. That that wasn't, that, I was semi-academic. I was a pretty bright kid and knew that I could go on and study. So I'd got that there. But what I didn't have is this other life that a lot of other lads had, which was opportunity to do that. And so most of my close mates had played for County since they were mm. 10. Mm. And I, were, I walked out in under 18s. And it's just an awesome, awesome moment. And then off the back of that, I got selected for Battle of Great Britain and we played against France. I was thinking about this today, actually, in preparation for this. And it was just extraordinarily exciting moment, nerve wracking moment to walk out for your country and, and to do this thing once again. We could probably talk a little bit later about imposter syndrome, but mm. what am I doing here? Mm. This is for other people, but you know what? I did, I did an earlier podcast that you'd done about staying in the moment. Mm. And I thought, this might not ever happen again. Just enjoy the joy. Mm. I'm walking out, we're playing against France. And as a snowflake, Ramona 
I'm not going to start slagging off our European friends, but some of them were slightly north of the under 18 age group that we were <laughs> <Yeah>. playing at. Because <laughs> when we did the return leg, we went to France and they were saying goodbye to the wives and kids in car park. And I'm like, yeah, nah, the, yeah. the fix is in here. These are 18. And uh, we lost both legs, but I scored when we played away. I scored. Uh, and, you know, one of the, the nicest, most um, just genuinely emotionally lovely moments for me in my life was the fact that my own man traveled all the way down to South France. Oh, I like it. Come watch me. Yeah. And he stood there with a couple of other dads who made it, but mm. like, you know, my own man was the classic, you know, when I was playing, the classic, you could be playing anywhere, arse end of nowhere. And then you turn around, dad's like, I had a really, really busy, really, really good job. We, you know, he was in the health service, but you turn around, look at touchline and there he'd be. How the bloody hell are you here? Yeah. How are you here? And so I loved that. I, I really, really love that. And so for me, anything else off the top of that were a, a bonus. But um, so then I signed, you know, mm. I got offered a contract with Uddersfield. Yeah. And I went, oh my God, like other people. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go do that. Yeah. Wow. Bonus round. And what what was the, uh, was it more practice then? Since that, that time in, as an under 11, was it more practice for that mental toughness that's sort of understood? Uh, as an unwritten thing going up through rugby league? Yeah, where I thought I could do it, I did to other people what I'd had done to me. Mm. Mm. I had moments of cruelty mm. where I could be cruel on a, on a rugby field because I knew that it, or I believed that it paid dividends to be so. And once again, it's a learned behaviour. Mm. It's manufactured. It's not organic. It will never part of me. Yeah, you learn it, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, and I probably would have folded under serious examination of my own mental toughness throughout that period mm. or that kind of classic toughness that, mm. you know, um, because it was slightly inauthentic to who I am as a person to be going around throwing it around. But I realized quite quickly that it was a currency and I had to be spending it mm. <laughs> and I had to, and I had to do it for survival. And so I always had something to say. I learned the body language of confrontation mm. and on occasions where I thought it was, oh, I thought you could get away with it. Mm. You'd stick one on someone, you'd make up a few. And I think part and parcel, I think most players are like that really. And like I said, I, I knew when someone had got my number and I knew when not to, not, not to push something, yeah. like I say. Uh, with my point, I was playing standoff. Like I, said, so I knew I want to cop a few anyway. Yeah. And you realize you're not made of cheese. You realize that, you know, you're going to be all right. Yeah. And then you start to cultivate probably a slightly more organic sense of toughness running mm. alongside this, this narrative of what it, what, what a rugby player should and shouldn't do. Mm. But then I've played, I've played with players, like I say, I refer to Stu, who's one of the toughest players, one of the toughest players that I've come across. Now we talked about it a couple of weeks ago because I said that. He was probably the best player that I played against. And he turned around to me and said, well, we haven't played against each other since I was 16, mm. about 16. And I was like, yeah, but while ever you were on the field, you were a guide. Yeah. I learned so much just watching him, how he carried himself and how, you know, he were always first up for the ball. He mm. could play in a couple of positions. He would just add a steely approach to the game that I needed to learn if I were going to mm. do anything in it. Mm. And also if I would if I, I enjoy it as well. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I start to cultivate my own sort of ability to just survive on a rugby endure field. Endure it? Was it was that part of enduring the, the battle and enduring the cops and Yeah. 
I think so. I mean, I mean, once again, while ever I was playing good rugby and playing with a smile on my face and scoring, and certainly up to sort of 18 years old, I, you know, I was scoring for fun, we were playing in the Yorkshire League. And I, I could catch pigeons. And so I was a pretty average standoff. But if they're all in the defensive line, mm. I'm probably going to go through it. <laughs> <laughs> catch pigeons. I could catch pigeons, yeah. And, and so, um, you know, that, that masks what were a fairly um, modest set of standoff skills. Mm. And so I just went, all right, well, I'm not going to pass it. I'm going to go through that aisle. And so, I, <laughs> so I'll ever I'll go through that aisle. I was... <laughs> We've all tried to catch pigeons as well, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> Those little boys out there for yeah. try to catch a pigeon every now and then. Yeah, well, I, I could have caught a few. <laughs> <laughs> and for our non-Northern listeners, there's always a pigeon. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, Seagull, maybe? Yeah. Well, and I just, it masks it. And I'd say, you know, you do your trade-off, your mental trade-off. Yeah, actually, sometimes being a rugby field is overwhelming. Sometimes you are, you are going to cop a few. You are going to, get get a bit of a feeling in mm. Mm. Uh, i think what all, what usually serves us is that irredeemable quality of of contact sports of rugby league or rugby union certainly having played both is that when you can walk off a field you're able to give someone a nod and say well done and yeah probably kick seven shades of shit out of you during mm. game but, <laughs> yeah, yeah but it's still there's still that honor mm. there's still that honor and I, I always found that a really sort of redeeming feature of our game really and and if you're scoring and you're doing well and you're getting the, I'd say, I say praise, but if you're getting the sense of purpose and sense of enjoyment, mm. and you know, that's why. Reward. The reward, man, you know, and I said, you know, to skip forward sort of 20 odd years, you know, at 40 years old last year, I was still having a go at masters because mm. the reason why you still play masters rugby is because the reason why you played under eights. Yeah. Because it's fun and you're with your mates. Yeah. And ultimately, that's probably all I really wanted to do and possibly should have done. Mm. There's, uh, yeah. There's many times I've reflected on my wife, why I started playing and why I did it and why I did it when I was younger and stuff. Um, yeah. You know, when you get another injury and you got to come back and you're sort of gathering up that fuel again. Yeah. And one of the things that I put for the reasons for why was the feeling of piercing through a line mm. and that sense of freedom from galloping away from the defence and you know you've got to beat the fullback or whatever and you hear the crowd roar whether that's 20 people on a sideline when you're an amateur or 20,000 people and you know there's so many times where I've, I've reflected on that and I've done that the next week it's like fuck that's that's what gets you through that's what powers you through mm. that game and that's what makes you pull with all the the knocks all the uh the the shit bits because you you're digging down for for that well, like I say it's, it's that reward it's that it's the reason why you are on the field why you get the buzz and sense of achievement you're, you're so right like and if they could bottle it yeah and I mean I've heard another player say there's nothing that will replace that feeling I've heard sort of Keith Senior through my research watching him talk about it quite recently there's nothing that will re replace that feeling mm, ever no there's not a drug on earth. No. Um, certainly not one that I'm prepared to take. Mm. Uh, that would, <laughs> just to give my mum's listening. <laughs> um, you know, there's certainly not a, a, a drug in the world that feels as good. I, I remember playing against a team in Sheffield 
and kicking the ball. So, you know, it's like when you stand off and you're nominated sort of captain and you, you, you're a person that does everything. So I put ball, put ball down, and kicked to myself, kicked 10 yards, went 10 yards, collected it, weaved in yeah. and out and scored. Short kickoff. Yeah, short kickoff. Oh, collected man. it myself, ran at Lenford Field, went round, <laughs> went round. We still lost that day. But I scored this try and I just went, that is this. I am the prince of all I survey. That is the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Come at me. Yeah. And it and goes. You get ball again. You're like, what am I going to do now? Yeah, well, what, what magic <laughs> should come from my box of tricks? Then? Yeah. Wow. But I just that moment, carefree and yeah, you know, all hyperbole aside, mm. it, that try is never going to look as good in reality as it were in my head. But, you know, i got chariots of fire music in my head as I'm doing it, like I'm giving it what for. But it's just... It's that carefree feeling of just going out with your mates mm. and having a dig and having a go. And that's why so many, I think, young people, when they come into the professional arena, that jolt and that uh, the change, and I wasn't emotionally um, ready for that or probably resilient enough mm. to, deal, to deal with what, changes the the professional with a very 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 small p in 2000 mm. um at Huddersfield <laughs> um that world offered me really and I, and I, I just never really recovered from just feeling a sense of disappointment and what 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 happened then from from that point you know you went on from Yorkshire and then you signed for Huddersfield yeah what were the content of your time at Huddersfield <sighs> injury disappointment and even now, uh, in a life that I, and certainly as a therapist, we make meaning. Mm. And the idea is, is that we don't question the good stuff mm. because why would you? Yeah. Everything's yeah, temporary. Yeah. Good stuff's temporary. The bad stuff's temporary. Yeah. Even now, it's only until a couple of years ago when I decided to go on this thesis that I really was able to revisit my experience as a rugby player. And so, uh, pushed away some of the shame that I had. And I think, you know, I meet a lot of rugby players now. And while their experience doesn't fill me with pleasure when I hear how much shame they're carrying about their experiences, it reassures me that I wasn't the only one. And that mm. actually quite a lot of us at the time and quite a lot of people now still go through this process of feeling this, this shame mm. and sense of, um, just disappointment really. And, and so I, I signed, I signed right off the back of the Great Britain tour, straight in. And the time is a standoff because at my club, I was playing standoff now. Mm. At the time we were playing, you know, I was the only kid from the Yorkshire League to play for Great Britain that year. Most people were playing National League rugby. Mm. Because I was playing standoff. I was quick, I got an half decent pass, but I wasn't a standoff. And when, as soon as I'd gone to rep rugby, there were standoffs that were far better than me. Like you're really, really good hands, mm. you know, mm. some cracking, some cracking lads. Who were playing? Who were playing standoff and halfback and what have you? And so um, I was in the centres uh, for Yorkshire, and then I was uh, wing f for Great Britain. Um, but Huddersfield signed me as a standoff. Now the coach at the time, whose name I won't mention, but um, he'd made it as clear as fish piss that he, um, he wanted to sign someone else, which. Um, there's an 18 year old boy dancing in like a, dancing in like a puppy and wanting to, oh, first yeah. day, at, first day at, you know, a new mm -hmm. job. 
because that's essentially what it is, whether you like it or not. It, mm. it was the academy at the time. He taught, made it quite clear that he'd want to sign someone else, but he prepared to give me a go with a look on his face that suggested that go would be very, very short-lived. Mm. And so I got I got the scraps from the kitchen. I wasn't I wasn't strong enough or articulate enough at the time or or resilient or tough enough to go, you know what? Tell me what you want from me. Mm. Or actually I was tearing up trees, playing out wing for, for, for Great Britain Baller. I was doing, you know, mm. you know, I, I played out my skin. Maybe I'm a winger. Yeah, yeah. But all I did is just stand there and go, all right, I'll try. And I just allow failure to come to me. Mm. And, and, and so very quickly, I ended up on the wing. But I ended up on the wing almost like as if to say, well, you ain't cutting it at halfback. But that's where I was kind of meant to be. Yeah. I was kind of yeah, meant yeah. to be there. And... Um, first season, I played the back end of a few games and then I played an entire seat, played, played another season. But during the season, I was having these real problems with my shoulders. My right one specifically, but you know, later on the left one joined the party, not mm. to be left out. <laughs> <laughs> like me, sounds like me. Yeah. Well, at least I'm- at We least could I'm, have had a good bash, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'd have both been on flat. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't think about what I'm running into with your prime. I would have put, I'd, 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 I'd have had to try and get around you. Yeah. 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 Oh, I should have tried to get around a few more people as well. <laughs> yeah. You can do what you do. Yeah, yeah. There's a roundabout, Stevie. Go around. <laughs> yeah. <The> space. <laughs> run, run to the space. Mm. Um, yeah. So where were we? So, yeah, I got this full season and, I'm, and, I, and I'd said, season before, this shoulder's not feeling right. It's not feeling right. Anyway, I got physios involved and now I have an acupuncture and, and the line, the party line was muscle imbalance, which meant no to me because I know I, I'm imbalanced. So what was it? Just lift weight, lift weight. Anyway, I'm having these moments where I'm like reaching across myself and it's going whoop, like, mm. like it's coming out. I felt like, well, I find out now it was coming out. It was rolling, just rolling in the socket, just loose. And which is not genuinely no exaggeration. And uh, this is my tough sticker. This is yeah. this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah, is yeah, where yeah, I yeah, tough. Yeah. Uh, the test. This is the test. <laughs> and so what's really interesting is is now looking back respectively, which is that which you don't know, which your brain doesn't know, your body sometimes will withstand. Mm. And so for a season, I was walking out with what we retrospectively found out was a dislocating shoulder. That's brilliant. In it just. That's yeah. brilliant. Um, and how many games did you play with that then? Full season. So I've had a full season. In fact, no, actually there were, a, my last game, my last game against St. Helens that season. And then I, I think I had about three or four, I had it in the August and we probably played to the end of August and so I probably missed about three or four games. I was playing all right, right up to there. But, um, yeah, um, and I only ended up, and you know, rugby league's moved on, and I'm sure the club's moved on. This is not certainly not a slight at Huddersfield because you just where we were, and as, as I've as I've discovered, quite a lot of other people at other clubs were experiencing similar inconsistencies in in sort of their journey. And the, the, that point is, is that you know you're not alone. You know, mm -hmm. it's arbitrary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's arbitrary. These things need to get picked up. And I was pre I was prepared, albeit foolishly, to carry on walking out what I wasn't mm -hmm. strong enough to do was to put my hand up and say, I'm weak. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Literally. Oh, this is weak. Physically yeah. and I am, mentally. I am physically, I am physically weak. I am mm. vulnerable. Therefore, 
I am probably not going to be your man for an inside shoulder tackle. Yeah. 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 I, I, my, my center is going to have to do a lot of heavy lifting here. Yeah. And so I um, just went through it and, you know, performances varied. I had a couple of belters um, and a couple of shockers. And it was only through um, just so grateful that I had the old man that I had who wouldn't take no for an answer, who took me to see some colleagues. Uh, 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 at Jimmy's and they did an arthroscopy and they looked at it and, and there's a, a guy that you know I don't know if he's still doing his thing a, a, an orthopedic surgeon called Dr. Lim Dr. Lim Lim <laughs> oh, orthopedic surgeon called Dr. Lim um, I'm sure he's Mr. I think he's probably a consultant but um, yeah Mr. Lim had a look at had a look at my uh, shoulder and went it's just a it's just a jigsaw in there it's just pieces everywhere so he said, my shoulder's coming out front, coming out back. And this is a guy who had done a lot of work on a, a number of shoulders. And he said, I can't give you any statistics for how good this is going to be because I've never done it before. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and I just went, all right. And I cried. And, and I look back and I look back on me crying in that room. And I think that was fairly inauthentic because I think at the time there was an element of relief. Mm. And actually, I don't have to do this anymore. Mm. I don't have to go out there and put myself through this. This isn't right. Um, but I had, I, I had the operation. I returned the following season, played twos. And my heart just wasn't in it. Mm. Just wasn't in it at all. Um, I felt... I, it's, it's really thing. I was thinking about failure today and what failure means really. And... You know, I think there's three ways you can fail. I think there's, there's fail. There's the best way, which mm -hmm. is having a go, mm -hmm. learning from it. And actually, is it is it is it failure in the in the worst sense? No, it's not because that's a lesson. Mm. We're absolutely hardwired for failure and review and making good and making better. There's the failure when you don't try, mm. and then there's the failure when it really wasn't in your power to succeed or fail. And I really felt like the. It, the third way happened to me where I wouldn't minded not making the grade. In all honesty, a very small percentage of people do. And I probably wouldn't have done that. I probably just would have done a season or two else. And then, you know, I was at uni at the time. Mm. I'd have probably just gone my way, and, but that'd have been fine. But I really didn't feel like I had was given the, necessarily the best opportunity to do everything that mm. I wanted to do. And I, and, and you know, you know, fault, fault is a, it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous word to start throwing around really. And mm. it's certainly not the point, but, I just felt that by that point the ship had sailed and so I was playing that season and I was really not in myself. I was walking out into the field and I think we talked to you before, like we played against Hull. And I'm, it was the first, I've experienced, since experienced it and I've experienced it through my own mental health needs, but um, my own issues that I faced later on in life, but just a real sense of aloneness and wondering what I am doing there. Mm. And I was on the field and no one could see, but I got tears in my eyes and I was crying because I was, I now realize I was in grief. So wow. this is, this is done. You, you basically, I said to you before, I am basically at my own wake, <laughs> <laughs> which is not, you know, I don't want to be able to dramatize That's it. That's a treat. Yeah, yeah, you are. You know, why am I here? This, mm. this career, this, this idea, this dream of, of, of playing at a high level is over. Why, why are you turning up every week and doing this? And that's how just 
alone, I felt. And I got this kid outside me, opposite me, who I was no doubt sharper than. And he rounded me and he rounded me like I wasn't there. Mm. And, I, and, I, and I, I felt pathetic. And I just thought, I am wasting my time, I'm wasting their time. And at the end of that game, there was a little kid that used to run up and down the touchline and, and cheer and he'd cheer for the winger on that team, but he always used to shout me by name and it was lovely. But I used to feel really, I felt like a fraud. I felt like a real imposter. And he came up to me afterwards and he came running out and he said, oh, could I have your autograph? Mm. And with every fiber of my being, it, it took that not to turn around and say, why? I mean, I was, I didn't know me. It's just because I played in the twos and yeah. were interested in having all collect, collecting as many autographs as he can. But I thought, why would you want, want anything from me? I am shite. And, and uh, yeah. Why do you, why, why do you think that imposter syndrome existed? I think this was my problem. I think I had very, very quickly observed that rugby was, rugby league was a, was a way of life and possibly a clique mm. and a party to which I didn't feel like I had the right to be invited. Even getting Yorkshire caps, albeit later on, like I said, I'd, got, I'd gone through school with some exceptional rugby players. Exceptional, some really, really good, talented, and our school team was brilliant as a consequence. But I'd gone through this and I realized that while I got, I probably got seat, I probably got to ride with the pack. Mm. I certainly want one of the leaders. Yeah. Uh, and I think that ca I carried that for quite a while. I had this, I didn't give myself permission to, to go with it and not fit in, but just to find my niche. And so, yeah, I, I think that I found that really, really hard. I think I carried this sense of otherness mm. quite a lot. Hey, did, did you feel like you just didn't quite fit it for some yeah. reason? Yeah, and having spoke to a lot of players, I realised it wasn't. It, it's not. I want. It's not own. just you. Yeah, <laughs> no, not yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah. You and I have had long conversations about the fact that actually, what is the version of you you are prepared for other people to see? Mm. We had a. We had a really. It's funny now, but at the time, I, I just was heartbroken in the classic way that I did, and still sometimes do take things to heart. We went on a rugby tour with the Huddersfield team. It was the first season I was there. And the, the academy went away for rugby tour up to Scotland. And I took a book. <laughs> I told you about this before. <laughs> so wrong I, move. <laughs> I, I told you about this before. I went, oh, tour. Long times by, you know, by myself, bit of downtime. And I, I, took, I took Michael Palin's 80 days around the world. <laughs> such a dick move. Like, yeah. Such a dick move. What, but, was, what was some of the banner that were <laughs> But the thing is, I was so naive about the code, even then, Yeah. that someone saw it. And, and the guy that actually came in, the standoff that the coach wanted to sign, it was just a lovely guy. He ended up, I ended up scoring so many tries off the back of just yeah. sublime hands, great kicking game. He absolutely should have signed him because he yeah. was cracking. Yeah. Um, he, cl he clocked a look at it and he was, fuck is that? <laughs> I was just, <laughs> It's Eddie, Eddie Leake, if you listen to Eddie, hello mate. <laughs> I just, it's a book Leake, what the fuck does it look like? This is the fucking hell you brought a book for in a rugby tour. And I went, she said, what is it, what is it? And I said, oh, it's Michael Palin. 
Willie Fogg, and at the time when we were kids, there was a there was a cartoon version of Phileas Fogg's Jules Verne's book, Eight Days Around the World, and Phileas Fogg called Willie Fogg, The Adventures of Willie Fogg, and he was like a lion and that. And he went, Oh, fucking hell, Willie Fogg here, look at Willie Fogg. <laughs> and it just paired me out. And I was on this bus just thinking, My God, I didn't read the, I didn't read the rules. Yeah. I didn't read the code. <laughs> and it was just, I just took it for a weekend, absolutely took a, an hammering all week. And I thought, how many lessons is it going to take for this, for this penny to drop mm. just to get with it and stop being a fucking nerd? <laughs> well, that's what I felt like. And actually, now I realise my nerd is the thing that I like most about yeah, me. I yeah, love my yeah, nerd. But yeah. at the time, I'm trying to suppress it. Allowed. It wasn't allowed. allowed. No nerds allowed, man. Push it away, push it away, push it away. Don't be the thing that you are. And this is this is kind of it's kind of my thesis. I'm actually reading a really good book at the minute. Um, it's by Duff McKagan, who's the bassist in Guns N' Roses. All right. Um, really, really smart guy. Really well-read, really intelligent. And he talks about his ability to learn. Mm. And he's quite academic, he's doff, you know, as well as belonging to arguably the greatest band in the world. Mm. Um, he talks about his inability to learn a lesson that life teaches him. And I read that the other day and I went, yeah. How many times growing up did I have to be slapped around the chops with the brutal reality of things, both good and bad? <sighs> <laughs> yeah right okay here we go uh so what what's those experiences then I, just before i want to go on to that it, does that interlink with the shame that you were mentioning yeah the the sort of the uh, negligence to actually learn the code or fit that straight jacket on which is the mold of a, a rugby league player or is yeah. it the the failure with the inability to, to make it work in what you wanted to do something. So what, 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 what does that shame have on? Like, well, I, I characterize that entire period as looking back now as a period, just set, sat in shame. Mm. And what was quite interesting was how other people viewed me. So I was at uni at the time. Um, and I could, my performances couldn't do the talking because I was injured. I was worried about my shoulder. I had no faith in the fact that if I got hurt, it'd be listened to. I didn't feel listened to. And very early on, you kind of feel like you're not in the probables. You're in the possibles. Mm. You know, you're not on the run-on team. You're doing the you're doing the unopposed. <laughs> <laughs> I think James Askell calls it. Well, you bin juice. <laughs> yeah, calls it bin juice. And so I realized early on that I wasn't fancied and that feeling stays with you. And so I was the problem. I was the problem. This, this context is absolutely fine. This is what goes on. I have to fit in, but knowing that that authenticity and that sense of myself and actually speaking out and saying, this isn't right, or actually being able to fight my corner. That was, that was my truth. And actually I pushed that away because I was full of shame. And once again, speaking to players again, I realized that so many people have been on that. It's not, yeah, it's not a nice place to be in when you feel like you, because of who you are, are a problem. Yeah. Because you don't slot straight into the 
ready-made package of of what it is to be a rugby league player. Do you know that's yeah? And it shouldn't be that way, should it? Not at all. Not at all. And you know, um, it, it's it's the Brenny Brown distinction. You know, the, the vulnerability guru that is Brenny Brown. She talks about this, and she talks about uh, the difference between guilt and shame. So guilt as a focus on others. You know, I did wrong to someone else. Mm. Shame is a reflection and a, and, a, and a look at yourself. And wow. within shame, I am the problem. Mm. There is consensus here. There's a group of people who, to my untrained eye, are all having a great time and doing well. I am the issue. I'm not fitting in. As it turns out, I had conversations, you know, after my career had ended with quite a number of the lads that I'd played with. And we were all going through the same thing. What we hadn't done is speak to each other and say, mm. yeah, this fucking sucks. Yeah. We're having a really difficult time here. Um, but when I went to uni, so in the year after I had signed, I went to uni. Now, even though signing a piece of paper for some kids outside, it, it, it kind of embarrassed me and made me feel very silly. My, for my mates who weren't rugby players, I did history for my first degree. So without stereotyping, history wasn't jam packed full of, uh, part-time professional rugby mm. players. <laughs> it 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 yeah. it will it will follow people who would you know it was some good people but you know <laughs> yeah it, it was uh it polarizing was pretty, environments yeah it? it was pretty eclectic book so i walked in with my tracksuit and no air and people went oh the fucking hell is this and i was in <laughs> there it's a wrong class i was in, i was in their territory again so once again i was yeah. othered again no, yeah. I, well no once again i felt othered they were, couldn't have been more welcoming and, you know, everyone was lovely and everyone had their foibles and it was introducing themselves to vulnerability because a lot of those kids come to, come through and I, I, would, I would got to meet people from all over the world, but also people from different backgrounds and different approaches. It reminded me of that sense of just be, you know, the, the opportunity to be myself and mm. I really, really indulged being myself mm. on those courses. So it was almost like my little, little private getaway. I'd go yeah. there and, get my geek on, talk history, have a really, really good time and then go to, but you know, to a lot of my friends, they thought it was brilliant that I was having this life where I was going off and playing, but in reality, it, it wasn't enjoyable at all. And I had this choice to make, Steve, at this point, like a real choice to make, what do I do? Do I actually put my hand up and say, this is shit. And actually I'm not playing well. I'm probably not fancied. I'm probably not going to make it because one, my shoulder shit mm. and two, I just don't like it there. Or am I going to, or am I going to milk this for all it's worth and, and, and the status, albeit temporary mm. or the kudos that you get from a bunch of lads who would love to play, be able mm. to play professional rugby, but don't, mm. am I going to milk that? And so you start weighing it up then. So, I mean, I did, I did what you think I probably did. Mm. I just pretended it were great. Mm. And for how long, how long did that happen? The entirety of the time, and, and you know, you and I, the first time we met, we had a conversation where we said, you know, that some of the biggest pain in our life are the stories we tell ourselves. Mm. And I think attached to that is the stories you tell other people. And so it was more to do with making sure that if I scored at the weekend, I'd casually mention it to my mates, but I won't mention the fact that my shoulder was hanging out. Yeah. That really I didn't have to be anywhere near a field. That is that the is that the gap? Is that the is that the shame gap? Like the the gap in between where you're you 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 fully feel what's going on, but your internal world is not being represented to what you're telling externally. Do you know? What? Yeah. So I was really externally focused at that point. There really, and, and you know, when I think as you're developing as a human and you're developing a sense of who you are, I think you do. 
you know, we, we're had to develop from the good pile, aren't we? Mm. So if people are telling you that, you, you know, ain't it great? Oh, this is my mate, John. Yeah, he, he plays rugby. Yeah, yeah. He plays professional rugby. And it was only professional in the sense that I was getting money every week. I was, yeah. You know, I, I, that's about it. Um, that is addictive. Mm. And that will, that will do for self-worth while some real self-worth arrives. Mm. And at the time you're still, you're cultivating this sense of who you are. And so at 19, 20 years old, you are far from finished. If we ever are, and I, I don't think we really are. But I was really, yeah, I, I, I went, I, you know, I, I took the other pill. I didn't see the matrix for what it was. I took the other one and just went, yeah, you know what? I am going to live inauthentically. These people think this is cool. And the biggest inconvenience was on one of the occasions where they came to see me play, I scored an absolute fucking banger of a try mm. against Salford, mm. which actually really didn't help. That was a hit. That was a big <laughs> it hit. It really didn't help because all it did is it confirmed their idea that things were going really well. <laughs> and the horrible part of that is that we were down by eight. No, we we're down by six, sorry. Um, and I went I went round a lad who was playing for Salford who went, who'd been our full back when we played for Great Britain. I scorched him, scored in the corner, but their, their winger was coming round and so I had to put the ball down. We kicked to even it up and he missed it. All my mates were like, fucking hell, what a try, my God. Mm. God, and that night, that night we were out and said, oh my God, I can't believe you scored that try. And it was so lovely. But what they didn't know is I went in that changing rooms and I got ripped apart and shamed because I hadn't tried to get under the posts. I got destroyed. Fucking hell. Like, what they hadn't seen was, I'd done what I'd done. What they had seen is you've let us down. Mm. I mean, without the try, there was no possibility of it. But that wouldn't matter. I just got ripped apart. And so what I didn't actually go home and say, boys, I've had a really shit night. I got ripped apart. What I did is I sucked it up and went, yeah, how good was that try? Mm. Not telling them that actually I just found it really inconvenient because them seeing me do well just continued to fulfill this idea that everything was rosy when actually I was having a shit time. Hmm. So how does that transitioning to what you're doing now so you're doing yeah. vulnerability researching vulnerability in rugby league yeah and that's how long ago was that 20 years ago yeah so i finished 2001 2002 2002 so you went to be a history teacher yeah. you've done some pr <laughs> yeah. so that history teacher was uh, the best time of your life i imagine now yeah man yeah someone said what's it gonna do with this you can do with this history degree be a teacher <laughs> No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See you with a fit portfolio with diploma yeah, two years after. Am, yeah. <laughs> so I did a bit of everything. Um, went through a real period, probably up to about 26, 27, where I really was struggling with shame. The rugby hadn't worked out. I felt embarrassed. Mm. It wasn't, you know, and once again, I look at this and I look at this and, and I wonder... I could have been all right if I'd never done that because I'd have probably found found my path a lot quicker. But that really, mm. that knock, that sense of just my little boy that got disappointed, took a while to recover. And so I went through that period of not, you know, not watching Challenge Cups, not going to watch Bradford anymore, mm. which were inconvenient because that was a time when we were doing really, really well. 
<laughs> Missed that bit. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I, I went back around about 2007 just as things started to fall off of King mm. Cliff. Mm. But yeah, I, I I just sort of distanced myself from it. Um, while still, when people asked about what I'd done, so yeah, I played a bit of rugby and like that. And they go, oh my God, rugby. And I go, no, no, no. And I really struggled with my attachments, with attaching to a new life, starting again, purpose. Mm. When in reality, rugby was probably never going to be my purpose anyway. And this is where I started obviously developing this understanding that for people like yourself, for people for whom rugby has been a vocation and a career and has been has, deli has delivered them a sense of worth, um, a sense of status, mm -hmm. the removal of which is existentially crushing. Mm -hmm. If I am not that, who am I? Now I experienced that to a very small degree and to be quite honest, I dawdled and could have done with a massive kick up my ass, which eventually came. But for people for whom rugby is the center of their universe and define, if, defines them as a person, um, is a way of seeing the world. That is, that is existential. That, mm. is, that is existential, existential purpose. The removal of which is is absolutely it, it, it can be it, it can be punishing for people. Yeah. And so I we're talking about what toughness is, weren't we? So anyway, long story short, um, went to live in London. Um, did a classic Dick Whittington, <laughs> run away from your problems. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Streets yeah. I pay with gold. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And loads of fried chicken boxes, yeah. as it turns out, yeah. <laughs> always fried chicken boxes outside my house, man. But like, I always miss that. I miss being able to go to Chicken Cottage at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, in London, it's, it's yeah, like man. on every corner. Isn't on it? every corner. And mm. you can get reasonable, reasonable, <laughs> safe, just about safe. Free range. Free range. As <laughs> I knew you don't care, do you? I, I, I love my London life. But at the same sort of time, I, I met mine and said, Dad, do you want to run eight marathons in eight days? And I went, yeah, all right. Okay. <laughs> a guy I've got a uni yeah. with. And so, you know, toughness is a funny thing because I think I'd realized that I, one thing I was able to do was withstand mm. and mm. put up with it. And I'd learned that from my shoulder, what, what, what the brain doesn't know, the body can probably get on with. Yeah. Um, and so we did that. Um, yeah. Met a girl, went and lived in Wales, got married. And things started to unravel. And you and I have this, have this conversation and it's not so much about the marriage. Uh, which is over now and you know she's a awesome girl absolutely awesome girl and you know I think very fondly of her but it was about the unraveling of that version that you have perpetuated too long mm. you and I've talked about this how many versions of yourself when you regenerate when do you mm. when do you do the thing that Duff McKagan said he couldn't do which is actually evolve learn mm. get insight make meaning of what's going on mm. And I, in 2007, my old man had been unwell. Um, I, 2017, sorry, my old man had been unwell, um, which I found fundamentally unsettling, um, as you would. Mm -hmm. um, an ex-student of mine who I'd worked with in London was stabbed to death. He lost his life. He, he, was, he was a couple of days off starting an apprenticeship. I wasn't with the school anymore. I was over in Lurnie, Wales at the time. Yeah. But I'd got a message saying, you know, you know, there's going to be a funeral. The students you sat upon in a park just around the corner from the school. And I 
he returned, the funeral's there. He, he was a kid of Jamaican Nigerian heritage, lovely young man. Um, and their funerals are something to behold, you know, a, a Jamaican funeral is something to behold. It's really open, authentic grief, mm. really upfront and clear. And uh, that was a, a, a shock and a comfort at the same sort of time. Uh, and I, li I, liked him, I liked the idea that it wasn't an austere sort of mourning situation. But I drove across to London, uh, caught up with a couple of friends and, and what have you, and watched this and watched, and watched young men burying their friend because that's what happens. Everyone gets around, picks up a shovel and helps mm. and contributes. And so what students that I'd taught bury one of their classmates mm. and it was really impactful and I couldn't shake it. And whilst my own man being ill and the death of my student were really, really impactful, but I was realizing that I just wasn't bouncing anymore. I wasn't coming back. Mm. And it got to a point where I just couldn't bounce anymore. And I had some goings on. I slapped my Achilles trying to, you know, play rugby at 37 years old, which is a fucking ridiculous idea. Well, oh, fucking Jamie Peacock was <laughs> fucking trouble yeah, 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 yeah. Unless you're Jamie Peacock, in yeah. which case, more power to you. More power <laughs> yeah. to your elbow. Yeah. 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 But, you know, I, no one wants a 37 year old winger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe if JP were on wing, he'd have yeah, been yeah, that shit in, yeah. yeah. And so they said, oh, where can you play? I said, well, I can do a bit in halves, re reminding yeah. myself that actually when I'd got to professional rugby, it was quite clear that I couldn't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I snapped my Achilles trying to make friends and uh, I had some issues around work at the time where I'd, I just couldn't fight back. I couldn't fight back. And I'd... Um, I, I remember taking some time off. I got my leg hanging out the bath with this snapped Achilles. And I, I just cried. And I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. And I said the word help out loud. I just said help. Mm. And I don't know who to. And, what, and I only can... I was on my own in the house and I, I can only think it was help yourself. Mm. Do something with that last with that last sort of bit of determination, do something, do mm. something, make a change. And I, all I realized, I'd realize now that I'd, I'd, I'd run out of pretending, I'd run out of trying to plaster over my vulnerabilities and I wasn't making myself happy. And so I, I got help, I, I got help. And it, it cost me a bit, it, 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 it cost me money, it cost me a divorce, it cost me um, friendships, mm. some of which I regret. And um, ultimately it, it, it brought me to a place where I decided that I was, I'd started, I started putting things in motion to study anyway. And I was going to do, do a BSC. <laughs> no, no, not a BSc, uh, an MBA. Sorry, it was a BSc, not a Bachelor of Science. I was going to do an MBA, which would have been a wholly inauthentic thing to do. It would have been the thing that work wanted me to do, to do something within business. Yeah. And I don't come from a business background. I'm mm -hmm. put a spreadsheet in front of me. I come out in a cold sweat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that, this is because you'd done the PR stuff, and <sighs> it's because I wanted to please people. Uh -huh. I done the PR stuff because I understood arts and minds, and I understood what people really wanted and I like to think to more or less a degree that 
I want to make people happy and I still do. I mm. still, I'm still hardwired. I still want people. I don't necessarily want to please people anymore, but I want people to be pleased. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, there's a distinct difference between the two. Which isn't a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, is it? You happy? Mm. I'm happy too. Let's mm. crack on, you know. Mm. Just to quote David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I did, I did the thing that pleased the people whilst forgetting about myself. And so I went off and, and I said, no, sod this, you know, and I, and I went, you know, I'd got, a, I'd got, still got an Achilles tendon, which probably shouldn't have been driven on. And I drove, mm. and once again, it's these decisions that you make where I've heard a couple people, people talk about on your pod, this lightness of being. I think, mm. I think I heard uh, Craig White talk about it when he said, you know, when, when you're, you know, when you're on, mm. when you're on and things are easy. Mm. And I got in that car and I drove across, I'd, I'd asked, I'd asked to meet, I'd asked for a meeting with the, the, the tutors of the of the psychotherapeutic course. And I said, here it is. I've got absolutely no psychotherapeutic experience. I ain't, got, I, ain't done a, I ain't done a BA in this, but I want to do your masters. I'm an ex-teacher. The holistic approach to kids is absolutely how I've taught. It's mm -hmm. about, it's about it's not just about their education, it's about developing those people. Um, you know, I am up for this. Take a, come on, coach, give me a chance. Another mission, another <laughs> yeah. mission. Yeah, yeah so let's do it. And I went across there and I was purely, now I know it to be authentic. I was cogent, I was in the moment, I was present. And I just went, I am not going to fail. Give me a go. And they did. Mm. Um, and that was the start of the study. And once again, fast forward to coming up to the end of the sort of academic curriculum based stuff all the time, being learned, the learned stuff, like what you're going to do your dissertation in. And there was lots of sort of stuff kicking around. And, you know, within the therapeutic field, it's a very, it's a very uh, female dominated environment. Mm -hmm. um, there are lots of male therapists out there, more power to, more power to them. Mm -hmm. There's a lot out there. Um, and yeah, I, I found myself in a room full of people for whom sport wasn't something that was a particular interest. It's not necessarily because they were female, just simply because people weren't. But I wanted to talk about rugby. I wanted mm. to talk about what I thought my dissertation might be. And that was kind of quite difficult, um, I thought. And I did my presentation to my course to a bunch of really lovely people. And I, and I looked at them, I said, I want to, I want to basically, I want to, I want to look at, uh, the issue of vulnerability in rugby league and everyone went oh <laughs> best of luck with that then <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, that, and that day was really interesting because there was also the tutors in the room who when someone presented they said well actually that sounds really interesting mm. I'd like to work with you on that if that's okay mm. and I saw these tutors look around at each other and say who's going to jump on this grenade yeah. <laughs> and all, all my colleagues sort of like all my cast colleagues looking at it saying Mm. you lost us at rugby league mate I, I, I don't know <laughs> we can't help yeah, you yeah. like it was gonna help you yeah. so I'm on my own anyway you know a shout out to my uh, my dissertation tutor Dr Bev Carl who's been absolutely amazing I'm not necessarily sure how much she knows or doesn't know about rugby league but in terms of supporting me through the dissertation um, and this study she has been outstanding well that's what that's why you're the man to do it as well you know because as I said before, when we were chatting at the start, you've had the lived experience of yeah. rugby league. You know what it's about. You know what the code is. You know what people want to talk about, what they don't want to talk about. Yeah. You know, and that, why everyone looked around and going, fuck, no, <laughs> they don't know where to start. So that's that's yeah. why the, the, the importance here is, is the fact that 
you wanted to do it. You've got, you've had the experience. You've had that, mm. that purpose to do it because of that. Do you know? Like, yeah. and that's why I think it's important that, you know, rugby players, people in sport, rugby union, whatever, like you, you're probably the man that you don't have to waste 10 sessions understanding the, the environment. Or the culture. Well, no, and as we get towards sort of the summer, I will touch very briefly on the fans. It's important to say at this point that, you know, by the time this goes out, my dissertation mm. have just been sent in. So, wow, okay. you know, we'd be careful to really sort of discuss findings too broadly. But one of the things is, is about people knowing that they are safe to be vulnerable and vulnerable within a context that the therapist understands. Mm. Because there's nothing worse than being vulnerable. It's having to explain the context in which that's happened, you know, yeah, not, yeah, you yeah, have to yeah, talk yeah. someone through, you want sometimes yeah. when you are, this is why I feel like this. Yeah. This is the context of why I feel yeah. like this. I, I understand through my own experiences and, and, and the, the reason why I wrote my dissertation was I was returning to my pain, my, mm -hmm. my sense of what it was to fail, to feel shame, to feel not good enough, but also to have that sense of, inauthenticity and to want to challenge that and challenge that through healthy vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, it's been amazing. And, but the one thing I didn't want to do is I didn't want it to be an heuristic piece. I didn't want it to be heuristic and autoethnographic at the moment it escapes me. So someone will listen to this with a much bigger academic profile will tell me which one it is. I think it's slightly both. Mm -hmm. um, so basically that's me looking at this through my experiences. Okay. I didn't want to do that. You wanted to open it up? I wanted to, yeah, I, I wanted, I didn't, I didn't want to do research that confirmed my biases. Mm. I, I, I wanted to challenge myself to learn new perspectives on vulnerability within rugby league, but also possibly learn a little bit about what I experienced yeah, yeah, yeah. too through listening to people who've had bigger careers in the sport than I have, but also clinicians. Um, and 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 getting getting an understanding from them what they thought, mm. and so that's kind of where you come in, <laughs> and and others. Yeah. And I think this is the first time that I'll kind of say publicly that mm. I was involved in my yeah yeah. And I was very happy to be very very happy to. As I said when we first started talking, I'm like, oh, there's someone else who's who's uh, who thinks as deep as I do. Yeah. Who's looking around. Yeah. Don't just see a normal site. You see everything underneath it as well. And yeah. you know, you, you inspect the meaning of stuff. And, um, but in the same microcosm, um, that I've been in as well. And yeah. it's, it's, and that's why, you know, I'm really humbled to have developed a relationship with you and that you, you know, you are going to be able to offer counseling under the mentality banner because yeah. um, you represent what the thinking is of mentality or you know that that's why it's confirmation really that that you can you can offer the specific support that i know people will need if that makes sense yeah yeah and i think it and i think I think you've got to get to a state of, stage of congruence in your life mm. where you're comfortable with your failures and comfortable with what you've been through. And I think I couldn't, I couldn't have been a therapist in my early thirties. I certainly couldn't have been a therapist in my twenties. I probably mm. needed some therapy needed and some, some support. Yeah. yeah. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I'm, I, I am comfortable with my vulnerabilities. 
that's not to say that vulnerability is comfortable, <laughs> yeah. but the reality of my lived experience uh -huh. and other people's experiences. And this is the wholly unhealthy thing about vulnerability as a construct or as a, as a phenomenon. What is vulnerability? What is it? Well, well, you know, I, I don't have Brenny Brown's quote to hand, but bloody hell, she is, you know, she is the beginning and the end as far as I'm concerned in terms of not, not necessarily as a person, although she's a, she's a, an extraordinarily um, accessible, mm. candid, brilliant presenter on the subject of vulnerability. I think, you know, I think how she interprets it is it's the best true gauge of courage. Mm. Are you prepared to show up, be yourself when you're not guaranteed to succeed? Mm. Are you prepared to say, this is me? Are you prepared to say in a group of people, this happened, this is who I am, this is what I like, this is my sexuality, this is my, this is my lived experience, this is, this is what scares me. Mm. And, and, and our vulnerabilities will never be wholly comfortable to us. But when I hear clients talk about their vulnerabilities, they, they rise like beacons in those sessions. They absolutely be, just show their humanity. Now as human beings, we search for other people's vulnerabilities to make connection, but we despise our own. Mm. We keep those hidden down, but actually connection is dependent on that. Mm. You know, our first conversation when we made a connection was not full of successes. Mm. It was full of stresses and worries mm. and, and inadequacies and perceived mm. inadequacies. And we've not made a friendship based on how great we are, mm. but more about how we interpret failure and yeah. how we move on and how we develop. And that makes a connection. Yeah, it's great to be those moments, those moments of joy, which we talked about, you know, when you're going through that line and everything's just on. Mm. Those are fleeting. And if you use the metaphor of rugby, a lot of life is, is failing and failing publicly. Mm and deciding whether we're going to go the route of shame and push it down in night's reality or whether we're going to actually say, yeah, I fucked up mm. royally. And this is what I've learned. Do you think that's a big barrier for people when you're talking about approaching counseling? Do they feel, is a barrier that they feel like it's there. They can't see it feeling any different that it's there. And they maybe can't see how they go forward with it. Do you think that's a main barrier that they just don't want to touch it because they can't see it changing? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And I think a lot of time within a, a, when I meet a client, the, the bravest thing they've done is ask for help. Mm. The biggest, you know, promoting, promoting and, 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 and advertising. There's an irony around advertising the thera therapy organization because we, do, we, we, don't, we don't purchase or engage with therapy in the same way that we engage with go to the shop or mm. buying something online because that's driven by another need. When we are feeling that aloneness and that otherness and that separation and that shame, we're not going to engage with anyone because what we're saying is, oh, by the way, that shame that you've got, come and tell it to someone else. Mm. That's perverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> and yeah. so to overcome- Not natural. It's not natural at all. And so to overcome that sense of, I want to keep this hidden, actually when you meet clients, they've, they've overcome the biggest barrier of all, which is to say, I'm not happy. Mm. I need more. And so ultimately when people come, they often say, I've overcome the first stage of this. 
I want to do some more, but this is my life and I am certain it's never going to get better in not so many words. And I often interpret clients as being unhappy and certain and certain of the permanency of that unhappiness, mm. inviting curiosity and uncertainty and risk and vulnerability into your life is a wholly courageous endeavor. Mm. And when you are in pain, the last thing you want to do is invite more of that stuff in. Mm. And that's where the therapy happens. How mm. we can transfer from being someone who is certain and happy to inviting uncertainty in, but possibility. Yeah. And that's what people want in it, just possibility. Just possibility. And people, people are experts in their own life. Mm. I, you maintain that, you know, this is the Carl Rogers theory that you're not the expert in their life. Mm. I'm not there as the all seeing I, as we've discussed, and I, I, I am, I am the student. I am the master of my own failure mm. and I'm fully willing to own that, but I am prepared to sit with someone and interpret what their failures and the challenges and their pain means to them and guide them back to themselves. This is not about creating a new life or being, becoming someone else. It's about becoming the fullest version of you. Yeah accepting accepting it and rejoicing mm. the vulnerability of who you are mm. you know i look back at that 18 year old kid with a bloody michael palin book and i should have stood up there and i should have read a chapter yeah yeah she said right and boy sit down he's in morocco yeah, guess, yeah. guess what yeah i'm not I'm actually sure he went to morocco on that one <laughs> he's been in morocco <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, yeah, look at this he's, he's on a dow in the indian ocean <laughs> he's making really good bonds with these people should have stood up front i should have looking... said, oh, look at this have you not seen that episode where he's on that dow boat with those indian guys who yeah, they, they, they interpret through body language. It's amazing, guys. I should have done that, but I didn't. I just went, ah, I'm just pushing The world's bigger than, yeah, I'm 62. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, guys, I'm not saying this isn't brilliant, but you know, but yeah, I didn't. And, and I and I understand why I didn't. I understand why it were also funny. Because if I'd have seen that book and I'd gone, oh, mm. it's not me, it's Ted Piss. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I didn't. But, you know, I was so lucky through my research to pull together a panel of people who I thought, represented vulnerability in a way, or certainly would have something to talk about. So I'd got you. Mm. I'd got Lois Forsell from Leeds Rhinos, mm -hmm. who was brilliant, who offered a female perspective because I wanted this to be perspectives yeah. from right across, right across rugby league, but Lois was absolutely brilliant. She really offered a, a counterpoint to a lot of the data that I got back. Mm. Um, Dr. Phil Cooper, mm -hmm. um, who was one of the founder members of State of Mind, who just give a clinician's view, was really experienced and knowledgeable um, around mental health. Uh, and obviously had responded to when, obviously Terry Newton tragically took his own life. Mm -hmm. He was one of the main responders to that as a, yeah. call, as a call to arms and said, right, we need to be better. We need, mm -hmm. we need to do more. Mm -hmm. um, Keegan Hurst, whose story I think is a, I listened to Keegan a couple of times, like I've spoken to him on the phone. Never actually met him because, mm -hmm. because COVID. Um, but Keegan's lesson, how he was the reluctant hero, mm. how he said, you know, I'm not going to be, a, I'm not going to be a role model, but then realized that actually this was too powerful a lesson Yeah. and what Keegan had to say. And actually the idea that when he came out and said to his teammates, this is who I am, mm. his career and his performances increased and he wasn't carrying that burden, his vulnerability and his ability to say, this is who I am. Gave, gave him what I interpret through our conversations, a lightness of being where he went out and ripped, mm. ripped it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the last person was a childhood hero. It was Robbie Paul, Robbie Hunter Paul. 
And it was the one I was worried about because I thought, oh my God, I'd watched this guy in 1996 at Wembley when we should have beaten St. Helens, but Bobby Goulding ruined it for us. Cheers, Bobby Goulding. <laughs> <laughs> and Robbie Scott is actually, and I was right. Custy. Oh man. Yeah, we talk, we talk about talk about things and failures and things and reflections. There's nothing that cuts me deep. And you know, now and again, someone will share it on Twitter. Uh, I'm still not over it. <laughs> yeah. I'm still not over that. That's fucking ruined my life. <laughs> <laughs> and then he came to Woodersfield, the postscript oh, to that. Bobby yeah. came to Woodersfield and we were training with the first team and there's him and Danny Arnold had come across who was another player who would ruin my day because he was playing for St. Helens that day. Andy and Pickervans, bloody other three of them. <laughs> and we were running, we're running up Cannonball Hill in Wakefield and he's there, he's chatting away and he's been Bobby and you know, he was a great player, really gregarious. And I kept looking at him, I think, you <laughs> Prick. tough as old boots so I'd never tell him excuse me Bobby Golding but you were up in 1996 <laughs> <Yeah>. for me <laughs> but yeah so I met so I, I, I reached out through through some sort of connections to Robbie and I was so relieved you know said so don't meet your heroes either digitally or uh, via email and I met him and he uh, just amazing just so kind and all of you were just so kind and so because this was an exercise in vulnerability for me to reach out to renowned, trusted experts and go, excuse me, <laughs> yeah, excuse me, would you like to be involved in a piece of work? And um, I got on a roll then and I got my panel together. You guys said, said yes. And I just thought, in for a penny, in for a pound. Mm. Um, I'm going to push it a little bit more. And so I got in touch with Sean Wayne, yeah. the England rugby, yeah. <laughs> rugby league coach and went, uh, my panel is full, Sean. Sorry, you've missed out. Um, <laughs> however... Could you give me half an hour of your time to talk about how you work with players as people? Mm. And we had nearly two hours talking. It couldn't have been kinder. And that's one of the best things about our game. That's great. Yeah. People just wanted to give the time and he chatted away and he asked me questions. And that was a massive mm. challenge to my imposter. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Wayne, wants, well, Sean Wayne wants to know about stuff. <laughs> I know I'm doing research, but this, this day's got weird. <laughs> but he couldn't have been kinder. And, you know, I, I've included some of his perspectives on his own childhood that he talked about within podcasts and things like that, which is, 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 is public knowledge now. But, you know, he's very kind and, dare I say, vulnerable with his perspective. He, mm. He's prepared for people to see him mm. and, and what he's learned. And that is vulnerability. That is the, that's the great side of vulnerability. Mm. This is this is me. So what what have you learned then from from doing this research? Because I wanted to ask all that context yeah. before because it gives the story, the narrative for where you yeah. where you went, how you got into it. Well, there are you know the, the findings are interesting. Um, it, it would be it would be silly of me to say that I've I've only found out things I suspected already. Mm. One thing, the first thing to say is I found out that rugby league for a game its size, for a game its size and for the money or lack thereof in our game, it punches its way. Organisations mm. such as rugby league cares, state mm. of mind, um, clubs, albeit on an inconsistent basis, really try their best. They don't get everything right, but you know, like rugby, rugby league cares are absolute shining light. I think not just within, not just within rugby league, but within sport. Mm. And one thing that I admire about what they do is they're prepared to keep learning and, and keep inviting in perspectives that can enrich the, the player offer. And so it's evolved from, since 2011, there's yeah. been a welfare program in place for players, but it's got better and better and better and yeah, better and yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. And we're not gonna get everything right. And the findings tell me there are holes in that. And we have some really interesting perspectives from the data. But <laughs> this is not good enough, mm. but that's not to say that it can't improve. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing to say is that rugby league, um, 
it's kind of fortunate for the size of the game it is to have the support and the the willingness to get better in supporting its players, yeah. which is not to say it gets everything right. The fundamental aspect of vulnerability is that it is unsafe to be vulnerable in rugby league. Rugby league embodies invulnerability. Mm -hmm. It is 80 minutes of de the denial of the concept of vulnerability. And a, a really good point and a really interesting thing from the data was it should remain the same. That shouldn't change. Mm. Rugby league should be the uncompromising, tough, brutal sport mm. that it is. It's kind of, it speaks to our, it speaks to our instincts as players to want to mm. go out there and dish it out and take it. And it speaks to it as a product and as a, and as a, I consider it to be the best game in the world. It speaks, it speaks to our fans of the game as that too. And so we don't want to see, we don't want to see the game diminish to a point where it, 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 it loses its essence. But playing a game as a demanding and as invulnerable leads to invulnerable lives being led. And this is where rugby league bleeds out and bleeds into our lives. And so, you know, the socioeconomic aspect and context of rugby league is really important because we come from working class backgrounds. A lot of players come from working class backgrounds for whom invulnerability and toughness is ingrained. And mm. I observed that growing up. I was surrounded by players mm. who were just hard. Mm. I, I, you know, I, I played my amateur rugby at East Moray in Wakefield, which is a council state opposite side of Wakefield to me. Some of these lads had, had lived a life and a half by the mm. time we were like 12, 13, some really tough upbringings. But they went out on that field and that was escapism for them. Mm -hmm. Absolute escapism. It was an outlet for mm -hmm. away from a life that they knew through bitter experience sometimes wasn't, mm -hmm. wasn't the best life they got. And, and I was lucky I didn't have that life, but I was privileged to observe these kids going out and doing what they did. And like mm -hmm. I say, even growing up as a junior, I, I wasn't the best player in the team until much later on. But we come from an invulnerable context. We are the M62 corridors. We joked about it, you know, mm -hmm. for good or ill. And, you know, a lot of rugby league fans will joke about that. But we grew up with, with a, a context of industry and the mines and the mills that breeds a certain type of mentality. And, you know, I, I spoke to Professor Tony Collins in, in during my dissertation and he provided some really interesting historical perspective on this way. He said, like, in the mines and the mills, and, you know, the docks have gone, but the mentality still endures. Mm. And the game is, the game is almost a performance. It's almost putting our invulnerability into a performance. It's, you know, through the medium of rugby league. Mm. We see our invulnerability and we cheer for, we cheer for the man that, you know, gets up again after he's been smashed to the ground, you know, and, and the guy who we think is a bit soft, he's going to get it. Mm. And we're going to shout at him, say, ah, oh, get off your soft get. Mm. You know, we're going to do that. So we know that that arena is not a place where you're going to be, you're going to be invulnerable, but it bleeds into lives. And it bleeds into lives in a, to an extent where people don't know how to be anything other than this. Mm -hmm. And so when we lose our career or we, we retire or we're injured, if I am not that invulnerable guy, if I am not a rugby player, who am I? Mm. How do I ask for, the, to, for help for the next stage? How do I assimilate into a world without rugby? Mm. So retirement, not only that sense of invulnerability, but retirement and transitioning out of this world, which is not normal. I spoke to, like I said, I spoke to Stuart Dickens and we were chatting about this and he was like, he'll say to his players, like, your life that you lead as a rugby player is not a normal life. This mm. is otherworldly. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll talk about that. I think, yeah, when you put it like that, it absolutely makes sense. It was spot mm. on. This is different, but 
a denial of your authenticity, a lack of invitation to vulnerability and to speak your truth and being who you are can exist in any any arena. It's not just rugby. Yeah. Just so happens we've got 18 minutes where <laughs> where it's <laughs> where it's magnified. It's magnified. Yeah. So rugby league is is real life magnified. Rugby league, you know, sport is real life magnified. Mm -hmm. it's, it's transferable to other sports, but it's it, it's it's in vulnerability under a lens. But it happens to us all. And so you're you know you're attesting to the fact that that 80 minutes is exactly what it should be. So rugby league, exactly, you know, the yeah. game, the spectacle of it, exactly what it should be. But the the moment you come back off the field, cross that white line to come off to the change rooms to go, does there need to be a switch? Because there's a switch when you go on the field. There's a switch when you go and play. You know, like when I go on the field, I, you know, when I did go on the field, um, I'm flipping almost. I'm not ready to go to war. Do you know? Yeah. Like I've got myself into that that groove in my nervous system listening to the music, getting ready to go out, not laying anyone down, not letting myself down, not having a flicker of doubt when I've come off the field mm. that I've, whether I've left my full self out there or I've, I've, I've not put my body on the line. That's, that's magnified in vulnerability yeah. for sure. Like that's, and, and every, every game, you know, like friendlies, I'd never even want, I'd never like, oh, I, well, that thought that it's friendly and I don't need to go a hundred percent. I don't want to let that flicker into my mind, you know? Yeah. And I'm 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 strapped in. I'm ready for it. But what you're suggesting is that that's all right. That that that's performed. The performance the show must go on. But it's when we come back off the pitch that there has to be tools, there has to be um, you know, related to war again. There's got to be an armory where you can well one be yourself mm -hmm. away from this code what you're talking about what you yeah. mentioned before and which i'm sort of fully aware of um and there's got to be an acceptance that you can just be fully yourself yeah and whatever comes into that whether you're angry whether you're upset and there's a, there's have to be an environment that grows that 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 nourishes it and encourages it compared to being on the bus getting ripped to shreds because you wanted to read a book about <laughs> travel you know you know that, that's the irony is that that's been a, a deep dark point of shame that's visited me in my adult life that and i've just said it over a podcast yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now we're joking about it yeah 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 <laughs> yeah that's how you get over it we've gone full circle yeah back, yeah, back <laughs> yeah, yeah. Innit? um but what you're discussing there your ability to turn it on what we do on a field and how we perform on a field and the values, the entrenched values of what make rugby such a irresistible magic game in my eyes, they belong to the field mm. because you've got to turn it on. You can't live a life like you play a game because not everyone is like the people you're playing with or against. Real life's not like that. It yeah. is not real. So this is about balance. It's about knowing that your life can be not just with one thing in it, but can be a life of many things, mm. of multifaceted, you know, entities, other hobbies. You know, 
I forget who it was. You had someone on, I can't remember who it was. You were talking about a place that, you know, I get away from rugby. The one thing that really helps me is I get away from rugby. I get away and do other things. Mm. It's not just about being in and around and immersing myself mm. in that because I go there and I do a thing. I do a thing that I love and I get the rush and I get everything else. But it's about balance, about understanding that, you know, I know some clubs still do full contact in training, which once again, <laughs> It's slightly, but you can't do game performance all the time. No. You can't do game mentality all the time. So if if that is a principle that is established, and 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 I'd like to think that it was, it makes common sense. So it so it follows that you can't do the same things. You can't enrich your life in the same, you know, one stranded way. You've got to find other things that you know inspire you. You've got to you know, and, and this is where Ruby League cares are doing such a good job because you know they're bringing in things such as like transition and mm. education and mm. supplementing people's lives and playing lives with that sense that you can be other things, not just a player. Yeah, yeah. When you go out on that field, you can rip it up. You rip it up. Mm. But that's when you that's when your talent and your skill and your ability to rise to the occasion should be at its optimum mm. because you haven't drained it with a mentality and a narrowed focus that is just all about that you know and, and you know you're not just that player but you can go out there and rip it up you know you can go home and read a book you can go you know you can go out and you know you can be involved you know invested in learning you mm. can be you know you can have other hobbies you can have friends for whom rugby is not the be all and end all you've got to turn it off on you yeah mm. because by god you've got to turn it on mm. so when does that switch ever i had a burglar alarm the other day i've got <laughs> not burglar alarm doorbell <laughs> and one of the guys on the site, because we're in a new build, he'd come and he pushed doorbell in and he'd pushed it and it were burning. Anyway, it'd been a week. Anyway, I walked in the house. I could smell something. I said to my partner, I said, what's that smell? She went, I don't know, but there's something buzzing. Anyway, it was it was the doorbell box. He'd pushed the doorbell in it and the, the button had got stuck and it had burned. It'd be burned for a week. Anyway, <laughs> and added another to my complaints. They said, my doorbell's burned out. <laughs> but that's kind of it. If you're just on all the time and all you're doing, eventually you're, you're you know, that out. clumsy metaphor. You're going to burn out. You're going to be like mm. my doorbell. And someone, yeah, someone have to come and change it two weeks later. Yeah. So be other things. Enrich your life with stuff like that, but also create environments. And I think this is something that we found within the data. Creating environments where people have got permission to be. Mm. What that looks like, that is for clubs and for rugby league in general to decide. Once again, this is a master's. This is not... Mm. You know, I'm not involved directly with any of these organizations mm. suggesting what they should do. There is a framework there, certainly for how clubs might invite in different ways of looking at things. I know from personal experience and conversations that I've had that clubs are starting to invite player circles in. There's a really, really good model being used at the minute in Penrith Panthers, which mm. I talk about in my dissertation. Mm -hmm. A guy called Hayden Knowles, who did vulnerability sessions, sat his players down and got them to know each other and got mm. them to know each other, not from a player perspective, but what's their story, what's their why? Mm. Who are they playing for? Mm. What excites them? What frightens them? Mm. What's their biggest fear? And this, and this is, you know, I often find war, war analogies a bit tiresome, really, within sport. It's a well-worn path, but I think if you look at the model, you uh, the model or the example set by the Tommies in the First World War, the troops in the Second World War, not so much the, the military and the fighting aspect, but the way in which they, in moments of need and moments of pain, turned to the man to the left of them, turned to the man to the right of them and got to know them as brothers, but also shared their vulnerabilities and their worries and their insecurities. Mm. They made bonds under stress. Mm. 
because they knew, and then you could know they could trust the man to the left and to the right of them because they fully knew that person and they knew the reason why that yeah. guy was here and the guy they knew about that fact that that person wants to stay safe they want to stay safe because they've got a kid at home so i'm going to do everything i can to keep him safe yeah because i know he's got that kid at home that wants to return back back to blighty mm -hmm. and see mm -hmm. and i know that this guy you know makes some really you know dodgy decisions sometimes so i'm going to speak to him and I know he's got my back because he knows that, you know, I'm actually really frightened while I look confident. I'm actually really frightened because mm. I don't know if this is, you know, if I'm burned out. Yeah. And so it's using that understanding and making sure teams create an environment where players can say, this is my experience. I had a really shitty upbringing, but here I am. I've got some holes in mm. what I need to know. Mm. Certainly I've got an environment in which someone can come along from a welfare perspective and say, you're a really, really good player. Mm. But my God, you've come into rugby league from some really difficult circumstances. Mm. We've got a responsibility here to create the man or mm. the woman, not just the player Yeah. and developing that and making sure that once again, we create emotional literacy and intelligence where players can sit there and listen to other people's vulnerability. Cause as we talked about earlier, there's nothing more wonderful as a human being to hear someone else talk mm. about who they truly are. It's a quality that we all look for, but yeah. we keep suppressing our others. Show me a team. I can show you a team that made the grand final this year after 17 years and not making it. Show me a team that fully embraces vulnerability and I'll show you a team that's difficult to beat. Mm, for sure. 100%. Yeah. Penrith, 100%. Penrith Panthers has not got to a grand final for 17 years. Mm. They introduced vulnerability. And I'm not saying it was the be all and end all. And I don't want to be so much Ivan Cleary's, Ivan Cleary's coaching because I'm sure he coached the shit out of him as well. Mm. But they knew who their brothers were. 100%. And, uh, it's almost like magic it's like the thing where you're so scared to do it when you do it you grow another life the team grows another life and mm -hmm. 2017 for us as a team fucking hell we were we were fucking shit in 2016 yeah like we were we were shocking you were like, i remember it well. we, were, we were shocking one way and yeah uh, terrible it was ace <laughs> <laughs> we just won treble and we yeah, maybe yeah. we were the opposite to being vulnerable if that makes sense yeah and, and but you would every reason not to be you've got some just just a team of all ed, team yeah. for the ages aren't you Int until we got spanked a few times and then we were <sighs> is it vulnerable or is it just beaten i don't know i don't know but anyway we went through 2016 and uh we had a camp in north yorkshire so mm. we splashed out um, we had a camp in North Yorkshire and we sort of informally had vulnerability sessions. Do you know? Yeah. There was about eight of us that got, got up to got asked to get up and speak about anything, mm -hmm. basically. And I stress anything because we could have spoke about anything, but about eight of us got up to speak, and I reckon six of us had spoke about any mental struggles that we'd been through, what last year had been like, what 15 years ago had been like for people, what they were struggling with right in that moment and what they wanted to do that year. Um, and that theme were like, that was a proper camp. Do you know, that was a proper bonding, yeah. you know, sort of um, team building camp. You know, it's not flipping, running for the fastest or like no. getting over a, an assault course. It's like, the assault course is within the room because you're getting past your own like yeah. barriers. I like that you know? way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah, actually, this is this is not about 
we made a log raft. Yeah, yeah log raft. <laughs> but, but I still think he's a dickhead. Yeah, yeah, actually, I've, yeah. I've worked out that That's it. actually I, underst I understand where he's come from. And even if he is a dickhead, I sort of know a little bit why he might be a bit dickhead now. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm all right with that. Yeah, I can make peace um, with it. So we had that and then, you know, that we carried on through the year. We smashed everyone apart from Cass. And then, you know, it got got to the end of the, the, the night. They'd only wait on bounce at that point or something like that. Something daft like that, oh yeah. God, yeah. Something ridiculous like that. And all the odds were obviously against in the grand final. Yeah, they were ripping it up. Well, they beat Saints. And they were brilliant. They'd, they'd done Saints with that drop. Yeah, look, Gale, drop yeah they were brilliant, mate. God. And they were obviously, off the back of that, they were like, boom, we're yeah, on here. Yeah, The news about Zach obviously came out and that were... Uh, it were... It were real. That was shock, wasn't it? Yeah, That was shock, um, so I imagine that that affected him. But the night before the grand final for us, there were no motivational speaker that came in. There were no like <laughs> presence that came in to. You just knew, didn't you? Yeah, we just we you knew. Obviously, I'd had that that the the dislocated shoulder the week before, um, and I throughout that week I was saying, lads, fuck knows how I'm going to go here. I mean, I should have spoke to you because you played a full season, so... <laughs> I don't probably, recommend it. <laughs> yeah, but, I, <laughs> you know... Performance is varied. I had, I had lads saying, look, we'll make your tackles for you. Um, you got to give it a go. And, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm sat at home at this point, like, flipping with my arm and a sling and, you know, flipping... My, aunt, my auntie's coming around bringing pork pies and sausage rolls around as if someone had died or something. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I'm sat there and I'm, I'm you know trying to envision me getting back to play and, and just thinking everything that happens that week is going to allow me to play. But the, the night before the grand final, um, I remember Brian Mackey just says, I ain't got for you. I ain't got for you. <laughs> um, you know, we knew the the challenge that laid ahead of us and he just said, I want you fellas to, to do it. No yeah. speaker, I want you fellas to do it. Magsy spoke um, after a bit of a silence. Yeah, you know, captain has decided to speak. You know, he wasn't going to be there next year. It was his last game in a lead shirt. Wow. Um, Rob Burrow sport next. Same mm. for him. And I, I think I went after and obviously said about my situation, the shoulder, feeling like it'd been ripped away from me. But I had the opportunity to do it. My world was completely different from the end, the start of that week compared to there. And you know, everyone had it on. Everyone had it on. And it was laid bare. It was out. It was without the facades. It was without the, you know, the the jokes. Without any of that. Like it was laid bare. And as soon as that happened, we've done. Everyone stood up. And like, oh, we've won it. Do you know? You just it, it wasn't that arrogant thing. It's like, yeah, this bloke. This bloke is not going to miss a tackle for me. This bloke is going to do anything. Yeah. Do you know? And it, you go. Fucking, it's like this In, the, invulnerability where mm, it should be. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's like, yeah, like you say, you read your. All right, we've had that dose of vulnerability because tomorrow, it's there's not going to be a um, any 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 drip through of that, you know, because no. it's going to be eighty minutes, and we know what we've got to do. Yeah, and that's that's and that's ended up being the sort of the irony of vulnerability that in. In showing the perceived, I'm not going to, I'm not going to level it weakness because that, that's, you know, if you right click, if you right click on vulnerability and God knows I've done that quite recently, <laughs> if you right click and look for synonyms, the first word that comes up is weakness. Yeah. It's it frustrates me on it Google. It does me head in, man. Yeah. Someone sort that out, please. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's not the actual. <laughs> it's a shit definition. If you got Brené Brown's full definition of vulnerability there, <laughs> you should Microsoft Word that. Should really swap that in, yeah. Yeah. Um, but like you say, that's the, that's that's the inherent sort of paradox or irony of vulnerability that in actually sharing this this thing, this aspect of you that's previously hidden, mm. that feels weak, mm. but is not a weakness. You you develop strength, and you get that. And I I remember watching that, and. I could see in the first couple of minutes your buzz were on and you were on in a way that, you know, as an outsider and I obviously didn't know you then, mm. but obviously I know you'd got, you'd got Rob and Magsy leaving that year, mm. but you were, uh, we've, we've talked about, you know, and you've, I've talked about players at J JP and a couple of others, mm. what it's like to be on, mm. but it was easy. It was yeah. fluid. Yeah. It was implicit that, you, that this was only going one way. And I heard Chris O'Connor say that he knew by half time that you'd won it. I, mm. I knew after ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you I think you were that's a that's a modest it's a mm. modest bet is that because you just absolutely had all the cards and you were just in you were you were in it for each other. Yeah. Yeah. You're in it for each other. And, and like I say, I, I watched a couple of late versions of Leeds, albeit bitterly because my team were playing shite. Um, but I watched a couple of versions and one thing that I really admired about the Rhinos during that period was your ability to evolve mm. and go, all right then, yeah, let's stop kissing each other's backsides right mm. now. Yeah, yeah, you had your difficulty, you have your difficult season. You'd, lo you'd lost JP, you'd lost Kylie, um, yeah. a couple of others and you had to evolve and you don't fill holes that quickly but what you've done is you go, all right then, where are we now? Mm. If we're not that, what are we? Yeah, yeah. If yeah, that's yeah. not our purpose yeah. to, you know, to be part of a, a you know, a singularly wonderful team, mm. who's going to be the next people that are going to put themselves in the arena, mm. are going to take the slings and arrows, mm. who, are going to, who are going to be people who are going to say, this is, you know, this is who yeah. we are. What are you going to do? Why are you going to do it? Yeah. And, and that is vulnerable. Mm. And, I, you know, I, you know, I spoke to Sean Wayne, you know, he, he was, he was saying, you know, I'm prepared to fail. I'm prepared. I'm prepared to put myself out there and, you know, get things wrong. Mm-hmm. And as a coach, that's, I came off that thing. The funny thing is I came off that. I don't mind saying it. I'm not, I don't know, you know, I'm not blowing his balloon up or out like that, but I came off that. And as a 40 year old bloke, listen to that, I thought, oh, I could get my boots on. Yeah. I yeah, thought yeah, I'd yeah. play for you. Yeah. I would play yeah. for you. And that's the mark of a good coach, but also, you know, a good leaders mm. that they're prepared to say, you know what? I will be authentic. I will be open. I will be clear. Mm. And I will guide you and I will, if I'm wrong, I'll put my hand up. So where do we go with this then? Because you mentioned the invulnerable, the learned invulnerability when people are going up. Yeah. And the dose of that is, you know, you've got to be that to survive as a youngster, as a young lad. And especially in those sort of environments, you've got to be able to, flipping all back the tears and you've got to be able to like crack on with stuff yeah and get on with it um you know i say get on with it i mean like you've got to carry on you, you have to carry on don't you got to, you in, in in effect it might be the scenarios where people are expected to get on with it because we need to we need to fucking get on with it right yeah but as I say, like the, the, there's there's times when you're a young lad going up, you need to be able to survive and get get through it. Um, so part of that is useful. A lot of that is really useful. 
do we need to do we need to instill the lessons about vulnerability at a young age or do we let boys be boys or whatever like do we let do we let that evolve until we get to an age 18 19 20 where there is that environment they can come into where it's a bit like an mrt or it's a bit like a another stage of life where mm. vulnerability is saying all right we know you've had to be like this you've had to do that but here's another here's another string to, to add to your blow yeah and, and i think and i think in some ways we're getting there and i think if you know if someone like steve mack steve mccormack from Billy cares we're here he'd probably say this is where we're heading mm. in terms of rugby league's got to be fully honest about its players where they come from you know I got some stats in my in my dissertation about suicide levels mm. you know and, and and all the cities where and towns where rugby league is played the suicide levels are far higher in those areas than they are as national against the national average mm. it tells you something about the environments in which we grow up not, out, not not every environment not every household but where our players are coming from there's some experiences and some contexts that make for difficulties and make shape lives before they even come to clubs mm. and, and, and rugby league is getting wise to understanding the fact that they have to do more about that whether that's actually happening that's not for me to say but i know that there is a starting to become an acceptance of the fact that not everyone's going to arrive into our game fully emotionally, you know, mature. Mm. And that they're going to have all the mental resilience and the tools to withstand what the game and life is going to ask of them and the failures and the challenges it's going to present them as well. And so I think it's really interesting because I think, you know, having Lois as part of the panel actually provided a really interesting perspective on how vulnerability is talked about within the female game. Mm. And you know she 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 made she you know she made she did present it with the caveat that you know the, the profile of the women's game at the moment is not as big but it's growing, and but they are far more candid, and um, open and vulnerable with each other. She believes than possibly the men's game. She understands that you know she was quite clear that you understand the profile and the pressures in the men's game mean that possibly mm. this is a challenge. It's not a lot. It's not every. Um, it's not every female player's full-time mm. employment it's not their job but nevertheless there, there is a, a culture of vulnerability that is understood and i think that you know listening listening to how vulnerability and how people's narratives are exchanged within the female game may give us some clues first and foremost because that was absolutely critical to my research to understanding that but yeah i think we've got to be honest we've got to be honest about where our players come from and create an environment where it's okay to be you and putting the steps in place. And I say the stuff that you talked about with Leeds, but also the stuff that, you know, that Head Knowles did in, in Penrith. Mm. Absolutely amazing where, you know, you are there in that room. You're in that room because you're special. You're, mm. special, at, you're special at one thing, which is playing rugby league. Mm. But the rest of your life might be a right bag of cats. Mm. It might be an absolute mess. But the thing that you are in this room to do ain't going to get done to the extent that we want it to be that's going to please us as your as your team and as your paymasters and as your club and you as an individual, if we aren't mindful of the other things that are going on. Mm. And that's how we, that's how we evolve. That's how we develop as a game by understanding that, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our 
charisma and our uniqueness comes from our working class backgrounds, but also our socioeconomic context really can shape players and it shapes players around shame. It shapes players around sense of deserving. Shapes players around a sense of, if I'm not this, who am I? Mm. And returning if you fail, but fail greatly. Back to, back to your hometowns where people are really interesting. Really interesting conversation with an ex-player who told me that about 10 years on after he'd finished playing, someone stopped him outside a baker's and said, didn't you used to be, used to be so-and-so? Didn't you used to be? Mm. And he went, yeah. He actually just said, yeah, I did. And went away <laughs> and then realized what had been said to him. To, yeah. Didn't you used to be that person? Mm. Which is withering. And so mm. players are aware that actually sometimes failing in, 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 in this arena really is quite painful and they'll do anything to not see that way and, and supporting players through that transition. But also, you know, I look back on, I look back on the very, very small, very, very, you know, inauspicious career I had. And I should be really proud. I did something that actually not many lads did. I went and yeah. played a bit of rugby, yeah. did all right. Um, but it took me years to get over not doing the grip of, yeah. Not being good enough. Mm. That's, that, that's, that's wholly wrong. I was, I was staring at the wrong side of that experience completely. Yeah. And yeah, there was a lot of shit that went on and a lot of things that I disappointed, but not, not a lot that I could control actually. Paul and Ander did all right. Mm. Not a great tackler. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Just throw your body in the way, mate. That's, that's how you tackle. Yeah. And I mean, not a great tackler. And I still come out with a foot shoulder. So yeah. <laughs> There well, we are. The, 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 do we go into the, the grief bit right yeah. now? Do you want to do that? In what way? Just, just, just you know, the, 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 well, this is very, very relevant for me right now, I guess. Right. Um, and I like to, I like to stare at my demons so that, I know that they're there. You might as well stare, stare back at them. They're yeah, stare at yeah, they're, fucking, they're still there, yeah. you know? And what will that quote, if you don't do vulnerability, vulnerability will do you. Brenny Fuck. Brown, the great, the wondrous Brenny Brown. That's fucking big, that, isn't it? Do, Bre do vulnerability or it'll do you. And it gets where water can't as vulnerability mm. because you're going to push it and push it and push it, but it comes out. It's an energy, it's a thing because it's your truth. Yeah. And it's going to yeah. come out. Yeah. And so... It's someone that, that's there. Yeah. That's... We are experts in our own life. And like I said, there's no one who knows us like we do. We know our innermost secrets. And this is the difference between vulnerability and exposure. Vulnerability is not telling everyone everything. Mm -hmm. It is knowing your truth and knowing who are the people deserving of that. I like to tell everyone everything. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to go, fuck it, I'm going to tell them. You know I, I mean? don't, I don't, yeah. I, I, it's, uh, I've known you for a bit now, but I know you are authentic and you tell your truth. Mm. You, mm. you, you won't sit on a bus and tell someone how many wheezy you had that day. That's it. It's a bit boring. <laughs> just, isn't it? just had a cracking wee. You know, that's, that's, that's not, I mean, that's not even exposure. That's just weird. Yeah. But it's probably a bad example. But, um, you know, it's knowing good emotional, uh, maturity, good, having a good vulnerability radar means knowing the environments in which you can be safe to share. Mm. So I take you back to Keegan Hurst who, you know, opened up and came out to his teammates. 
yeah, moderate amount of risk, but in, in, I think he, he said that he knew that his vast majority of his play, mates that guessed he knew it. well, he guessed yeah. it, and we're going to be good about it, and they yeah. moved on about it, and so went, yeah. yeah, you know, you're our mate, we support yeah, you, we love yeah, you, yeah, we've got yeah. your back, type of yeah. thing. That is vulnerability. That is, this is who I am, it is irrefutable, and you need to know. There's no guarantee that everyone of you are going to accept what I have to say, mm. but you need to know because it's imperative to me being good in this environment. That's vulnerability. It's, it's the first day of your job when you walk in and say, rather than pretending that you know, saying, mm. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. We are so squeezed into being... Pretend, yeah, yeah, to pretending that we're something that we're yeah. not. And I haven't been as guilty as anyone, but I guess you were talking about grief and you were talking about the... the experience of retirement. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the experience of retirement. It's only been a, well, I don't know. There's been a, there's been a short time um, of peeling away from it because mm. of COVID as well. You know, like yeah. it's been skewed for a lot. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people, um, and that everyone's had to understand what it's like. I think I've had episodes where I've had to understand what it was like anyway. I've spent, yeah. but I've probably played half of the games that I could have um, with injuries, episodes, missing seasons, um, you know, missing loads of games. And I've, uh, I like to dig deep anyway. Uh, it's just something that I, I think I'm very, um, not sure, not sure. I think I see it as a as a challenge, and maybe I can do it mm. a bit too much at times. And you know, it's probably uh, subjective, but um, yeah. And in the in the the act of actually having this conversation now means that I'm probably I'm staring at those demons or facing it right now, if that makes sense. Yeah, or trying to acknowledge it yeah because it wasn't long ago where you and i were talking i think we were down anything weren't we and, you know socially distanced by the way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we're talking and um said i think you're experiencing grief here mate mm. this is a loss and loss is an abstract it's it, it, it it's a it's a malleable abstract you know it's not just when someone dies mm. it's when we experience change that is out of our control and we have a powerlessness and a loss mm. and our real, the reality of our life is, is shaken. Mm. And a lot of the times we know that things can never be the same again. And so we experience loss and a powerlessness in order to get that thing back because we have, even, even with our most unhealthy, even when bad relationships break up, mm we grieve for them and we want them back because it's known. And so when something leaves us that is not just, not just something that's been around for a long, long time, but defines us who we are, that's, that's seismic. Mm. If I am not this, who am I? And the data returned and you wrote some amazing stuff like say, I'll never, I'll never quote anyone publicly verbatim, but you, you know what you wrote and about that, that, that sense of process and sense of understanding that retirement and transitioning out of the spot mm. is absolutely 
critical in terms of from a support perspective, critical that we get it right because those people are losing the essence of who they are. Mm. And you and I talked about, like I said, we talked about grief and we talked about what it was to lose this thing. And I know that, you know, at the time we were, you'd, you'd had, you know, you had your concussion, you were thinking about finishing, but also, you know, I, I know that you were feeling a lot of pain and upset around Rob and what mm. was going with Rob, but also that admiration and pride for how he was facing it down. And like I say, you know, Rob is, to me, is vulnerability personified. Mm. Not just how he played the game, you know, amazing as he was, but how he has been prepared to let people see him, yeah. the reality of who and what, who and where, it, you know, and where he's at. And that courage under fire, no guarantee of success, mm. but courage under fire. And for me, he embodies in the best sense. And the reason why I feel so proud of rugby league on, on, is that he contains people for whom I have the utmost respect, but also just have that immeasurable sense of courage yeah. and just to be prepared to put themselves out there and go, yeah, I'm going to have a go at this. Mm. And if I, if I fail, I, you know, I do so, I do so daring greatly once again, mm. to quote yeah, Brené. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But ret retirement, yeah, it, it, it's where the panel turned around and went, yeah. It's a big thing. This is big. And, you know, Keith Senior talked about it. He talked about it in an interview and said, you know, if I'm not a rugby player, who am I? Danny Sculthorpe, um, in his book, you know, he talks about this, you know, this is where he, con you know, he contemplated suicide based. And he talks about it quite openly because if I'm not this, I'm gathering dust. I'm, you know, what is my purpose? Mm. I'd be, life would be better. People would be better off if I wasn't around because I can't do the thing that defines me. Yeah. And finding yourself again, the other side of it. That is a, an experiment in courage. Mm. And to go through that and acceptance, the, the, the end stage or notionally the end stage of the five stages of the Kubler-Ross method of grief, mm. go through all the five stages and you eventually arrive at acceptance, but sometimes you can jag back to anger yeah, and denial. Yeah. And, but whatever, that acceptance is not always an acceptance of what happened, but an acceptance of who you are within what I term meta-grief. It's mm. not... It's not grief in the classic sense. It's a metaphorical grief where there is a life that continues, a world that continues, a passion and a love and a vocation and a purpose that continues, but you aren't part of it anymore. I, I equate it to almost looking through a glass screen and seeing this life going on. And that's why, you know, when I was no longer invited to be part of a, a rugby world all those years ago, I didn't watch Challenge Cups. Mm -hmm. Bradford played Bradford played Leeds at Murrayfield. Mm-hmm. In the Challenge Cup, and I didn't go. My mm. parents went, they drove up, and I watched it on telly. And I was like, why didn't I go? I didn't go because I, I didn't want to be a fan again because I'm still frustrated about the idea that I won't play anymore because I wasn't good enough. Mm. And it's hard. And so transitioning is really hard. No, I went down and got my final, this is how I retired, or finished playing professional rugby league. I went down and got the remainder of my contract in a check. And then I went out to our mates and got pissed. That was my, that was what I, send off. that was my send off. I got a check and banked it and went and got drunk in a way that I hadn't been able to do because I was yeah. playing. I pissed for about three days. Mm. It seems I, to be a, a coping <laughs> mechanism. Well, and, and the, the problem is, is that some people don't stop drinking. Mm. Some people don't stop chasing that high. Some people don't 
stop telling ourselves once again those harmful stories that we tell ourselves yeah. about you know the denial to get stuck at the denial i say quite a lot i say quite a lot that i'm i'm lucky but also i probably did a bit of work to, to uncover it as well um and probably did my own little bit of therapy or you know working stuff out reflecting finding meaning being having meaning squeezed out of moments of my life and uh you know i'm lucky and probably should pay myself credit too for the work that that over the last few years the purpose which every time i played on the field wasn't just to um you know be the best rugby player or to keep status it was yeah. merged in with a, a purpose of mine that was to to do the job for my teammates but also to be a part of something a bit bigger and mm. and bring back success and bring people together and you know help people through the vehicle of rugby you know whether that's for people watching or whether that's for people um playing with me you know that 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 sort of that was a big driver for me and i'm lucky that that isn't just exclusive to playing rugby in a way and i've got mentality that that transitions on from from playing rugby um yeah i i've I've never really known you as a player, which is ironic, isn't it? We're two rugby players and neither of us have really known each other as rugby players. Mm. Mine, mm. based on the fact I'm 41. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly. <laughs> Next week, the week after. And uh, and you've just retired. And so, you know, we, we, t uh, I, we talk a lot about rugby, but not everything about rugby. Mm. And I think one of my... And so while I have not had the privilege of being your friend during your career particularly, I've had the... the privilege of watching someone handle a friend of mine handle a transition and an absolutely critical existential change in their life with an underrated quality amongst our courage and determination which is curiosity mm. i've watched you constantly look and ask questions you know whether it's been to me via whatsapp Mm. And or something you've read and you know i can't hold a candle you know i'm a bloody hell i've been a researcher for the last couple of 18 months and i can't hold a candle to you in terms of how you read mm. and inquire and look at different things and so it's been a pleasure albeit circumstances that i wish hadn't happened yeah to yeah. watch how you've done it yeah and so it is hard to point out to someone in your situation that you are lucky when the thing you are most associated with is, is done mm. and you finish playing but where you have an opportunity to diversify that approach and to find still that same sort of sense of values and passion for inspiring other people through mentality where you have that that is luck mm. it's not luck you've made that luck but it's, it's fortune that i don't think i don't think you're unaware of that that won't pass you by and so in our, a lot of our discussions i've been really acutely aware that i think curiosity is like man it's a superpower isn't it, it is isn't it yeah i think it's something that you need to carry through from being a kid do you know yeah like it and i think 
I don't know what the quote is. I saw it the other day. Um, I think it was it wasn't actually reading any flipping smart book. It won some stupid film um, called Tag on Netflix. Um, oh yeah, have you seen it? I, I I've seen it, but my thumb my thumbs hovered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, just yeah. go watch Peep Show re- re- repeats instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put Peep Show on <laughs> series four episodes. There's eight. a there's a study in shame and vulnerability. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Jeremy yeah. and Mark in that lens in that lens, brilliant. When yeah, man, it is. Yeah, I don't I don't know who's the most shame filled, but it's a yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I could, I could turn this into Peep Show cast. Oh, God, that'd be good. That would be good. We'll do one of them. We should do it, yeah. We'll do one of them. Um, so this tag. Tag, yes. Uh, it's a, it repeated a quote that someone said, and um, let me think of this now. You don't stop playing when you get old. You get old when you stop playing. Yeah. If that makes, if I rolled that out right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's it's. A ver- I think it's a variation on the quote, and it like the idea that we don't we don't stop playing because we get old. Yeah, we get old. Yeah, we stop playing. Yeah. So the idea is that, and once again, like it, it kind of re- so curiosity with the play, but also like a childlike approach to things in it. The idea mm. we do things. We, there's a really good poem called it's, it's called the Ballad of the Ungirt Runner, and it goes on about running, and we run because we have to, and we mm. run because we want to, and we run because it feels good. Mm. Every stanza sort of ends with that line, and it's the idea. It's the idea that you do it just because to do it. Yeah, I climbed it because it's there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like the simplicity of it, and I think, yeah, that that childlike curiosity is absolutely. And I think that's why I dig. You know, for the why. You know, you dig deep. You go fucking hell it's been shit it's been hard I've been yeah. depressed I'm fucking my knees been shot to bits yeah you know why do I play why do I why do I go and play rugby and you go well because you fucking you can pierce through a line put a step on go through a line and you hear the crowd fucking roaring yeah, and man. you go do you know and it's like that's that's the thing which, fuck it let's have one more game yeah I know should we go out now <laughs> <laughs> socially distant. come on coach <laughs> yeah but it's like you know, it's the curiosity and play probably sit with each other. It's the exploring nature. Um, and I guess... It's meaning as well, isn't it? Yeah. It's finding meaning in the shit stuff as well as the good. Yeah. And go, all right, then this has happened. What I, do I do with it? I guess, I get, yeah, I guess what what I'm lucky for is that my play's not stopped at just rugby. Do you know what I mean? Like just yeah. playing rugby, it's probably gone fucking hell what, what, what's this about what and I and uh I love learning I, I love learning new things and yeah I read um I read wrote a book I must have told you about it a book by Rose McGowan called Brave fucking hell mate I read it in two days the book honestly I read the book in two days you've been making out this concussion this slowed you yeah mate wait mate well this is the Beast thing this that. is the thing I, I smashed it I smashed it to bits and it, because it was new to me, wow. completely new to me, and I'm like reading it, and mate, she, to you know, she was born into a cult called Children of God in Italy, um, and then she was a runaway. She was homeless. She, I don't know, I don't know if she did drugs. Um, anyway, she went around the awful relationships with men. Mm. Um, and then she says she went into another cult, which is Hollywood. Um, she's the lady that set off 
I had a massive part in setting off the Me Too movement. That's right. Yeah, that's why I know her name for. Yeah, from and I know I knew she was an actress. Yeah, but I, I knew that she she'd been and fuck. She says that much truth that even I go fuck. <laughs> that's big. That do you know? I go wow, and, and, and a lot of people aren't ready for it. And that's that sense of this has happened. Now I can deny the reality of it. Mm. I can let it define me. I can let it end me. Mm. You know, Frankel, Victor Frankel said, you know, and, and I, I'm always, I'm always, podcast is not always necessarily an ideal place to say this. Frankel and, and another, another existential philosopher would say, you know, why don't you kill yourself? And they mm. weren't suggesting it. What they were saying is, if you've, if you've decided that you are going to live on, what's that? What is it? What's, what's it going to be like? And if you've decided that this, this life is enough for you to carry on, What's it going to look like? How are you? How are you going to make meaning? Mm. And that, and I think with that, you know, with that struggle and with with those, you know, extraordinarily courageous people who've come forward and said this happened to me, it, that vulnerability shared, that openness, that reality of their horrendous experiences, should, and indeed does trigger just vast amounts of admiration in other people. Who go, not only did that thing happen to you that shamed you. You're prepared to step aside from that shame and say, I'm not going to allow this to define me. This happened mm. and we need to be better. And I'm prepared to lead people in making that change. This is what I'm going to do about it. Yeah. And mm. I'm going to read that book now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm flipping already on it out, but I'll steal it back off him and get you it. And get yeah, you it. It's a good book, man. It's a good book. But I thought we could turn into a JRE. We could Joe Rogan podcast. I know. We, um, should we talk about the counselling? Yeah, we will do. We'll do. We'll talk about it. But I think that I, I've I've had counselling this year and I've been conscious to get counselling because of the stuff that you've mentioned and because I've gone through a bit yeah. with it. Um, so I almost, because because I'm so well practised at it and, and, you know, talking about the practice of vulnerability, I'm well practised at it. Yeah. I'm not fucking bothered to say, look, I probably need to speak to someone mm. once every week, once every two weeks, whatever it be. And I'm happy to to do it. And, you know, in, in effect, the conversations that we've had, the conversations that I've had with other people, um, Nat and, and stuff like that, that in in practice is, is sort of version of therapy or, you know, it, it makes you feel better. Um, and I'm lucky to have yourself and other people around. Um and I almost see it as 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 that sort of like essential of life that you know my life is especially yeah. And I think it'd be a necessity for people to to do the same too. I'm not a U2 fan. The band, mm. not the submarine. To quote, not the submarine. <laughs> to quote, far weddings in the funeral. Uh, I, I'm not a U2, a huge U2 fan. I've got a good mate who is, and it rattles on to me about them, but. They've, um, they've got a song called Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own. Yeah. You don't always have to be right. Yeah. You don't always have to be you that does everything. And that song resonates with me so much when people open up, when people take that step, I consider it to be the most courageous step of all, which is aside from the putting themselves through counseling or therapy, whatever you want to define it, actually reaching out and making themselves seen and saying, I want to, I want to question this. I want to be curious. I want to invite some uncertainty to get some deeper meaning, some answers in my life. Mm -hmm. That for me is the most, it's one of the most beautiful and most for me, human aspects of being a therapist that I get to see mm -hmm. someone volunteer themselves and say, I am prepared to go through this. Mm -hmm. 
And that immediately creates that kinship and immediately makes me think that y y this is this is a life worth. Yeah. You see yeah. them consider themselves worthy yeah. of that development and that care and that love and that self-regard because our, our self-compassion and our ability to accept and understand and love ourselves in the way that is nurtures us through real difficulty. And there's one thing that's sure as shit is that we're going to face difficulty. Mm. That that's, that's the privilege. That's for me, the privilege, but that's where the work is mm. saying, you know, watch doing yourself out. And that, I had this conversation with my supervisor last night. I said, the, the ultimate, the ultimate experience is to do yourself out of a job. Mm. You don't want to be needed. Yeah. 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 You yeah, want them yeah. to be able to go, yeah. I've got this. I, I've, I wasn't able to make it on my own, but right now, this is good. I mean, I, I go through personal therapy even when things are okay. Yeah. Because yeah. I want to check my blind spots. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I really enjoy and invite uncertainty in because I'm now at a position where I can invite that in. 10 years ago, that would have been anathema to me. And, and mm. to quite frankly, I did cross the road to avoid any sort of questions like that because mm. I was sure, I was certain, mm. whilst quietly knowing that things were probably shit. Yeah. And so, yeah, man, I am so excited about the fact that we've we've launched this yeah and that our values and the values of mentality is something that sits so comfortably with me mm -hmm. that i think that we can create a, you know a therapeutic model for anyone who does come forward or anyone who is interested in, in you know developing themselves through psychotherapy and counseling you know it's going to be hopefully a decision that they're they're very happy about and that i'm very privileged yeah what would you say to someone who's thinking about it it's really interesting i have had clients who have been referred so someone said you need to go have therapy mm. and i have a clients for whom they've made that decision themselves now as a qualitative researcher not a quantitative researcher <laughs> predictably i don't have not, i don't have the numbers or the data and so mm. i'm not gonna start throwing around figures willy-nilly but i would say the vast majority of people for whom it is there drive to come and engage in personal therapy their outcomes and the longevity of that therapy is considerably um better and longer and more productive than those who it isn't their decision so you've got to want it and it's mm. got to be you mm. um you've got to get to a position where you understand that something is either isn't working or you've got a curiosity or you are ready to be seen but not only that even if <laughs> even if you know that things have got to a position where you're struggling I, so I wrote something the other day and I very rarely give myself credit, but I wrote that, you know, you know, therapy is a vulnerability training ground. Mm. It's a place to start it, to start sharing in a, in a confidential, safe, supporting, nurturing, congruent environment, somewhere mm. where you can come and <laughs> test things out, mm. be seen and discuss failure and vulnerabilities and, and your innermost aspects of yourself that you may find, you know, unpalatable or sometimes shameful, but actually in an environment where hopefully you would leave. And certainly my response ultimately when someone shares their vulnerability with me, they just absolutely grow in stature. Yeah. That is the, that is the best feeling, you know, when you're doing it and you're, there's stuff bumbling around your head, there's insecurities, there's worries, there's anxieties. You know, I, I, I sometimes, have specific worries and anxieties that I sometimes can't solve with my own mind because my no. my mind is sometimes the issue or is is the issue in that that sense. 
with yeah. that specific worry, you know, and, and because I've had experiences of sharing it and working through it and looking at it, taking that thought out and looking at it from a few different directions and angles yeah. and accepting it. Fuck me. Whenever I've got anything like that on me now, I'm like, I'm like, where do I go? What, what do I do about this now? How can I manage it? And how can I get back to feeling Mm. free again do you know and it, and and i think what i stress to people is that it might feel like it's a lot right now that there's a lot that that might be worrying you and and there's a big gulf in between you feeling freer and mm. and lighter as you said a lot this podcast yeah but i'd say like it's walking through the doors like the hardest Absolutely. Thing. And as a, as a, as a, as a patient, as a client, however you wanted to call it, I always find that my, my own experience of therapy was as a client before ever being a therapist, just walking through and saying, this is me. And the difference between my thoughts and feelings and my impressions of myself and my experiences in my head, as, as opposed to said out loud. Mm. And knowing that I'm not alone, that these things happen to other people and knowing that it's perfectly acceptable to feel that way, giving myself permission to feel the way I feel mm. and not be my own. That's good. Yeah. Not permission. be my own ass kicker. Permission. Because I think there's that friction, especially as a rugby player, there's that friction where you feel a certain way. Like, fucking hell, I shouldn't be feeling like this. Yeah. Or I shouldn't. That's not part of the code. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why is that Why is that bothering me? Why, I shouldn't be feeling like this. Yeah. And then when you talk it out with someone, and it's released, but then you've got permission and it's not a big scary thing that's going to happen. Someone just says, oh yeah, this is pretty natural. Like, you know, you go, fucking hell. Cause I can't, I can't, I can't tell you the amount of times in first sessions with clients. The first thing I've had is I'm people saying, I'm going to share something with you and you won't believe it. And my mm. God, get ready. This is big. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's big and it's massive for them. Mm. It's massive for them. But that's consumed their entire life. I've heard, you know, I have the privilege of sitting with people in pain and listening to them offload some of the most difficult things that they've experienced. But it doesn't, it doesn't repel me. It doesn't, mm. they've not been told anything that up to this point that's ever made me think, oh my God, I think less of you. Mm. The fact that they've come in the room and been prepared to say, this is me, mm -hmm. that for me absolutely is authentic. Mm. And so while... They're preparing me for my disgust because of their shame. Yeah. And all I'm going to meet them with is just, yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah. And you did the best you could. Mm. And actually, well, let's let's maybe have a little walk and see how this mm. leads us to some meaning of that. Yeah. Because you have permission, you have permission in therapy to be who you want to be, and also when well, I say be who you want to be to be curious about who you'd like to be, but also make meaning of who you've been. Yeah. And that's really, really important to me, creating an environment where someone is like, yeah, what am I going to do with this? This happened. Mm, I love that. <laughs> I love it, man. And I'm, as I say, I'm proud. I'm, I'm, I'm proud that we can actually offer it. And I know Dom is as well. Yeah, man. Um, and as I say, you know, it's, it's almost like the stars have aligned a bit, you know, with, with you doing this research, yeah. Us, us chatting about that and then being able to team up to do it hmm. and I think it's, it's worthwhile staying that you're 
you see a, a vast range of people. You don't, you it's know, not you just don't about just, rugby players. Yeah, no. you don't just see rugby players. You see a vast uh, range of people. Um, you've done the work in the environment yourself as being um, a subject in a rugby environment. You've done the work looking at that as well as a researcher. But you're also you've also done the work as um, a psychotherapist that's seen a vast array of people. Yeah, that all come walks of life. All mm. walks of life with the one unifying aspect that the human beings and life is not always easy. Mm. And you know, be you a rugby player, be you, you know, old, young, man, woman, you know, regardless of sexuality and gender or how we identify. Mm. I've got to work through some stuff, man. Mm. And and I have had the privilege of working with a vast array of people from different works, walks of life and circumstances and identities. And it, and I said the, the most unifying and wonderful thing about that is that every time I get the privilege of sitting and listening and sharing their story. And so mm. come one, come all. Um, mm. You know, we are absolutely open for business now. And mm. what's going to be really exciting is seeing how the, how people really embrace not only sort of like the therapy and counseling but understand that you know the values that are entrenched in mentality is something that we can feel really proud of and i do now as mm. you know as a member of the team feel really really proud of and how we've sort of developed yeah this going forward so it comes from a real place too doesn't yeah it? man <laughs> really we've earned this, we've earned, we've earned this guys, man we're yeah pretty good use fucking hell that's true yeah brilliant man what a pod what a pod thank you john bell for coming on my mate my at times counselor <laughs> my uh <laughs> yeah the man that I, I look to for a lot of stuff um that's been a good one cheers man nearly two and a half hours yeah well, can get some out of that ain't nothing yeah <laughs> <laughs> cheers my boy cheers man.